Melissa. It's that time of year. <laughs> wow, that was so good. I wish that we were a visual podcast somehow because I feel like my face was just sheer delight and I reacted <laughs> I reacted noiselessly with a big smile. So, but that was wonderful. Belatedly, Merry Christmas from the Parenthood Pals to you, dear listeners. Ho, ho, ho. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Today it's just us. Yeah, and we were That's talking off gift. mic. That's your gift. It's just the 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 original pals. We were talking off mic that it feels like it's been forever. We were saying all the things that have happened since the last time we did an episode just us. Sarah's left her marriage well <laughs> that's incorrect on several <laughs> counts. She didn't leave. She got dumped and they weren't married. They were engaged. Though no one took it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I guess she's living with her parents, which was true in the first that's, episode and in this one. That's true. It's more of a full circle situation. Yeah. But but we said Hattie lived at home and now she does not. Yeah. They didn't have a dog and now they do. Christina, I, I said off mic that Christina didn't have cancer. She probably did have cancer. They didn't know she had cancer. Yeah. But yeah, it was a lifetime ago, it feels like. Lots of changes. All I want for Christmas is some emotional stability for the Bibermans. <laughs> I want that too. I was like, God, this is heavy. You know, when, when when the episode like opens with Joel holding the mistletoe over Julia and they kiss and the kids are like, let's go find the presents. I was like, this is delightful. This is the kind of light shit I need in this episode because there's nothing else. It's just all so, uh, like, I, don't, I mean, it was good. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, man, this is an emotional ringer is what this is. Yeah. Well, let's do it to it. <laughs> Today, we're discussing Parenthood Season 4, Episode 11, What to My Wondering Eyes. <laughs> I almost got Melissa to spit out her drink. Have you ever it seen was... Hot Rod? There's that part in no. Hot Rod. He's like, what, what, what way? And, he, and it was, what <laughs> to my wondering eyes? All right. We're, we're extra silly, I think, when it's just us. Or maybe it's... Yeah, yeah. it's dangerous, but that's why it's fun. Yeah. It was written by Jason Kadams, directed by Hanel M. Culpepper, it originally aired on December 11th, 2012, and here is the DVD synopsis. The holiday season incites a mix of emotions as Adam and Christina experience a health scare. Sarah is torn between her feelings and priorities, and Amber and Ryan face relationship challenges. This is the second highest rated episode of season four on IMDb. Okay. So. How about that? Just let that get your expectations up super high. Yeah. You're right. This episode did start light and fun. And I just want to share something that brought a smile to my face, which was the <laughs> beginning of this ridiculous Santa story. Hey, what's going on here, guys? Oh, hey, Julia. I was just helping Sydney look for her shoes because huh. she, like, couldn't find her shoes. She... In our closet. I see. Good yeah. idea. Mm -hmm. This isn't what it looks like, is it? No. You know Santa doesn't bring <laughs> presents to kids who are too snooping around? Santa's not real. What? <laughs> yes, he is. Of course he's real, and he will know. Yeah. He's a big fat guy in a suit. Everyone knows that. Is that true? 
<laughs> Caleb was just mouthing along, <laughs> and it was pure gold. I loved it so much. Well, I I hesitated to share the clip because the things I really love about it are visual. Yeah. So they don't quite come across, but I love Victor's pss, no. <laughs> so so cool. And then <laughs> I loved the look on Savannah Page Ray's face when he says, Santa's not real. What? And then <laughs> and you just see her little eyes darting around like she's like questing for the truth. <laughs> and then I also loved Julia saying, well, now I forget exactly what it was, but Santa doesn't like kids who are too snooping around. <laughs> too snooping around. <laughs> Which is not grammatically correct, but it felt totally like something, you know, a mom would say to this. Especially in the pregnant. moment. It doesn't feel like yeah. a scripted line of television. Yeah. Like, yeah. like kids who are too snooping around. <laughs> so I just loved it. And yeah, I thought, oh, we're going to be off on a, a light foot. But at the same time, I did also know that we were kicking off one of my least favorite parenthood storylines. Of all time, which is the Santa thing. Yeah. So I should say that I didn't grow up with Santa. It was never told to me as something I was meant to believe. We were a very religious household. Christmas was Jesus's birthday. I suppose we must have been told about what Santa was and probably that we weren't supposed to ruin it for other kids. But I, I don't really remember that. So I don't know. So I never had any emotional attachment to believing in Santa Claus. Did you grow up with Santa? I did, yes. And, you know, I would say that we were religious too, but I went to church, but I always just went with my mom. I legit don't remember what was up with my brother, like why he never went. He's 11 years older than I am, but why didn't he go? I don't know. But my dad... I think because of his disability, he didn't like a lot of eyes on him. And so mm. he just didn't go with us. So it was just a mom and me thing. And we originally went to like Methodist church where I was actually the angel in the Christmas pageant for years and years. Oh. Yeah, it was a very big honor. Uh, when I met my friend Erin, who was a guest on season one, she was always a butterfly in that same pageant. And when we met in high school, we realized we knew each other. She was like, you were that bitch. She was always the angel. And I was like, that's Ooh. right. That was me. I mean, she said it humorously, but, <laughs> but also, you know, anyway, who cares? Um, you so were the angel. I was the angel. I got to hold. She it. wasn't wrong. <laughs> I got to hold a giant glitter star and just stare up at it. It was very cool. Anyway, then we became Catholic and uh, again, just, just my mom and me. So... I would say we were a religious household, but not the way that your family was, where it was like a unifying thing. It was not. I don't know. And so I know I was told about Jesus and it being his birthday, but I was also told about Santa. And in fact, one year I thought I had irrefutable proof that Santa was real. And it was that my dad, my dad was in the hospital that year. He was often in the hospital. Actually, I just realized I can kind of relate to the whole Christina thing that way. But um, he was in the hospital. And so on Christmas morning, even though both of my parents were at the hospital because my mom was with my dad and I was just staying with my brother, I had a new bicycle. What? <laughs> How could that have possibly happened if not for Santa? I mean, did my brother bring in the bicycle? No, he barely tolerated me. Are you kidding? But then it turns out I was right. Not that Santa was real, but that my brother <laughs> would never have brought in a bicycle. It was my Aunt Roseanne. <laughs> 
who brought it over. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I guess my parents maybe did go to some lengths to convince me. And I did, in fact, feel straight up betrayed. I can get into that. Really? Yeah. When did you find out that he wasn't real? (laughs) I like this story. I think I was crazy old. And so I did relate to like trying to convince sort of crazy old kids (laughs) that they should believe. I was nine. I was in fourth grade. And our teacher was reading us a book. And I think it was Super Fudge by Judy Bloom. It's a book in which they discuss the reality that there is no Santa Claus. And so we're like slurping on our milk. It's story time. You know, I'm just drinking it. She gets to that part of the story. Everyone around me is just nodding like, yep, this is information we already had. My world is crashing down around me. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? And, I was, and then it was worse because I'm like, everyone else knows. No one else is freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> so it was um, crazy. And then I went home that night and it was like a confrontation. I'm like, mom, dad, I need to talk to you. Today I learned there's no Santa. What the hell? I'm sure I didn't say it like that. Um, but I, I said, what, what is the meaning of this? What's going on? And they sent me out of the room so that they could like talk amongst themselves. And then they called me back in and they were like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. There, there isn't a Santa. And I was like, Easter bunny, <laughs> tooth fairy, it's all lies. They're like, yes, it's a nice story though. And I'm like, is it? I don't know. I was mad for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so there's my story. And uh, yeah, yeah. And see, I want to just, I'll use your story to sort of contextualize my eye rolling, can't take it ness with this yeah. storyline. While I didn't grow up with Santa and I can't imagine I would ever, if I have kids, do Santa with them. Mm-hmm. I don't object to the concept entirely. Yeah. So many people do it. So many people grow up with it. They get over finding out he wasn't real. Okay, fine. What really gets me about this storyline is not that they're trying to convince a kid Santa isn't real. They're trying to reconvince a kid who has already learned that Santa isn't real. Yeah. Victor came into this family nine or 10 years old And whatever life history he has before this, it included learning that Santa wasn't real. Right. Now they're going to try and turn back, have him unlearn this truth. That to me is like, this is too far, but it feels like child abuse. Like, well, he's going to learn again someday now that actually he's not. So I came into this family and they just lied to me. Like, it just seems crazy. It's like, you know what? You missed your chance with Victor. Sorry that his innocence is shattered and that ruins your day, grownups. But <laughs> get over it. Yeah. And if that means Sydney has to find out now too, okay, fine. She's like eight or something. I mean, it's yeah, not like I, she's four. I feel like this is a fine age and it's a bummer that that would be how she found out. And Jabbar too, because nobody thought to warn Crosby and Jasmine that Victor's just telling people like, or, or they didn't say, Hey, don't tell any other kids. I mean, that's what they should have done. They should have pulled him aside and said, like your parents did to you. Okay. You did learn this. And it's kind of sad, actually, because it's fun to believe in Santa Claus. And instead, you get to be like us adults and kind of not spoil the fun for them until they learn like you learned. You know, I mean, wouldn't that have made more sense to just let him in? Yeah. I mean, it'd be like if 
your parents called you back into that room and said, actually, everyone in your fourth grade class is lying to you. Yeah. He is real. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, what? Your poor mind. Your yeah. child. You're trying to figure out what's true and what's not. And I don't understand the point of bending over backwards to convince your kid of something you know isn't true. I, I just don't get it. You're so right. And, you know, hearing you talk about it, I think makes me even angrier about it because all I can think now is how Victor must have, just because of his life experience, trust issues, you know, and it it is really taking him some time to feel like he can trust these people. And so it makes me angry, but it also, if I can sort of detach myself from the anger, it's a fascinating exploration of privilege. Like for them to only be able to see it from the side of, oh, but it's so magical. Uh, we just want him to have that and not think, well, some shit has happened to Victor. Yeah. And probably finding out that Santa isn't real is like probably the least of it. I mean, his his mom, I think, is in prison, right? Like, <laughs> so the ship has sailed on keeping him innocent. That's not your job. Your job is to keep him safe and to to make him know that he's in a place where he can trust everything that the adults are telling him. And so when you really break it down like that, it I don't know if you're going too far to call it child abuse. Like, they are... That's awful. I've never really yeah. taken it that far before. But when you really look at it through the lens of what he's experienced in his life, that is sad and far, far sadder than these these kids who are getting older, Jabbar and Sydney, finding <laughs> yeah. out. You know, like this is how most kids find out. Some other kid tells them, and then you're like, Yeah, gotta break it down to you. I wish they were all as smart as former guest MK's, was it sister and and yeah. husband who said that there was a secret of Santa. Because yeah. then they'd, Sydney would be like, oh, that's the secret of Santa. Got it. And that's what I would have said in fourth grade. I would be like, oh, everyone else already knows the secret of Santa. Cool. I mean, people should really know about that. That's a really smart thing. Yeah. So that we can let people have their fantasies. Although to inveigh against the very concept of Santa itself for a minute. <laughs> you know, when you said like they want the kids to maintain this magic, as someone who didn't grow up with it, I have to question what magic is it really to believe in this thing that isn't true? I didn't feel like Christmas. I mean, I guess I can't compare it mm -hmm. to the experience of growing up with Santa, but I felt like Christmas was a magical time, but not because there was actual magic going on, <laughs> but because it was uh, just a season to kind of like all be in touch with the better angels of our nature and Aww, remind beautiful. ourselves of charity and family and being together. And so I, it reminds me a little bit as a musician of some professional musicians who've never learned to read or write music. And when they're asked about it, they'll always say something like, well, that takes it from a, a place that's like in my heart and moves it to a place that's in my head. And that's not what music is to me. And I'm like, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's music. It's your craft. If you're making a living at it. You should know. You should know how it works. Like no CEO of a company would be like, yeah, I got this far in life and I can't even read. <laughs> that's nothing to be proud of. And also ask any musician who can read and write music. Hey, is music any less moving to you now that you understand it? You, I bet you wouldn't find one person who said, yeah, all the magic of it died when I learned how it worked. No, it's just, it's silly, in my opinion. Now, I loved everything you just said, but I, I will be honest. It was much less magical for me once I knew the truth. 
And fair enough. However, I almost think that that is a point to your argument, not against it, because you never knew and you never experienced a shift or a loss. And I did. Mm. And I wonder if it would have been better if I'd just been told that Christmas was fun and magical and time to spend with your with your relatives and not been told about Santa. And, you know, an interesting parallel to that is I am no longer religious. Yeah. So the story of Jesus's birth doesn't hold the literal value that it once did for me. But I do not feel betrayed by that at all because no one told me that knowing or thinking that it wasn't true. Right. So even though I don't believe it, as long as it was told to me in good faith, yeah, I'm not upset by it. And it still has meaning because of all the associations I have with the holiday and, and how I learned that story. And I, yeah, I think finding the magic in the real stuff is better then, yeah, I don't know. I like that. Well, and, you know, we've talked about it before, but I'm not religious anymore either. But I do have nice memories of like Midnight Mass, which was very beautiful. You know, the, yeah. just the, the music and everyone holding their own candle in the dark. That, I mean, it was just really gorgeous. And I get inspired by other people who are religious when it's, you know, like the best of it, like not the, you know, hypocrisy part, but everyone's <laughs> has the potential to be, you know, hypocritical, not just religious people. Um, right. but, but like when it's, um, you know, is anything more gorgeous than a gospel choir? No, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, and, and, uh, Christmas songs are also beautiful and most of them are religious. I mean, I guess some of them are about Santa, but <laughs> by far the, the prettier ones are not about Santa. And when well, I, yeah. I do get upset on the rare occasions that like someone will release a Christmas album or something and it's all secular. Yeah. And I love Christmas music, religious or secular, but I'm with you. I'm like, you're going to leave out all the ones that were <laughs> actually inspired by what Christmas, the origin of Christmas. That's a good I'm point. Like, even, if, even if you're not religious, like honor this beautiful material that was inspired out of something holy and yeah huh. whatever like that so yeah but i i do definitely agree that it was interesting especially like i wondered why zeke cared so much you know like why did he sit them all down and give them that speech i want to talk to you about something that's really really important okay now if there's anybody sitting here that does not believe in santa i gotta tell you you are wrong i met him long time ago, I saw him with my very own eyes. And now, if your grandfather, who is pretty old, still believes in Santa Claus, I think he should too. And I was just a little kid. And we used to go visit my grandmother and grandfather on Christmas Eve. And we didn't have a lot of money back then, so we had to take the bus. But anyway, late one night, Christmas Eve, was turning into Christmas morning. It was like 12 o'clock. It was very dark. And we were getting on the bus, and I was taking my first step. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw something. Big red suit, this long white beard, and had a sleigh with reindeer. And Did you see Rudolph? I saw Rudolph. And this big bag filled with presents. I swear to God, I saw it. I swear to God. And he winked at me. He did? Yeah, he did. Santa is real. And Christmas is magic. Christmas brings miracles. 
I mean, it's easy to say you don't believe, and you know, be called what some people say, you know, naysayer. But if you keep looking, truly watching, you'll see. <laughs> you got that, grandson? Yes, sir. Good. <laughs> Swear to God. I don't, but I just mouthed that to Caleb when he said swear to God. I'm like, you don't swear to God something that you know is not true. Oh my God. Okay. So here's what I realized just listening to that, that if he kept the Santa parts out and just talked about Christmas being magic and miracles happening, I think that would have been more moving because I think it would have directly correlated with what was happening with Christina in the hospital. Yeah. And I think everyone's definition of miracle is so different, by the way. Like, I used to sort of roll my eyes when people would call childbirth a miracle because I'm like, it's literally how everyone is born. It's science. Like, <laughs> I'm like, how can it be a miracle if it happens like every second of every day to everyone but <laughs> there's no one it has never happened to yeah. right <laughs> and you know easy for me to say who's never given birth or you know experienced that myself but I, I do remember it was your cousin Sarah it was one of the episodes you know of the podcast she did and she called it a miracle and it was the first time I mean she's very smart and a good talker and the way she phrased it I I got I think finally what people meant by that I'm like oh, okay yeah the odds I do kind of think it's miraculous that any of us exist when you consider like yeah. just, just the odds and it has to be that sperm that egg that moment if if it was any other time you'd be in a completely different person you know just like your siblings and back and back and back and back yeah. To, to whatever our origins are. Yeah. yeah. If you look at it that way, I'm like, okay, yeah, that is kind of miraculous. Okay, that's interesting. And so I think if you look at what Zeke is saying as literal, and you have to, because he says things like, I saw Rudolph, and he says things like, <laughs> you know, it can't just be a metaphor. But if he kept out the specifics and talked about Christmas being a time to believe in something bigger than yourself, something like that, or that miracles could happen, you have to be open to the good in the world. That I actually think would be a beautiful lesson for Victor to learn that maybe he hadn't learned, as opposed to this very specific actual lie, you know. And I think I think that the metaphor of it, the other things Zeke said, are true, and Christine is kind of proof of that. So yeah, yeah, I agree. It and it seems like maybe his his real message was one of faith, but even that, I I sometimes think people confuse faith and hope. Mm. Hope is, yes, Christina could get better. Yeah. Faith is Christina will get better. Okay. No one knows that she will get better. Yeah. She could die. Yeah. But hope, maintaining hope, even when things seem dark and that something that feels miraculous could happen. Yeah, I'm all on board with that. And that's a great thing to learn. I also, even though clearly I find the Santa tradition so stupid, <laughs> boy, Craig T. Nelson really sells that story. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's the power of a good actor. And I guess Zeke is a good actor too. The, his voice throughout it, that, how he just invests this story with that awe and wonder yeah. and the entrancing mystery. I, it's, well, I see. I mean, I'm almost falling for it. <laughs> Not a child. Uh, I did wonder how does Max restrain himself during oh, that story? I mean, I he, mean does, he does. He does raise his hand. You don't believe? Yeah, he raises his <laughs> hand. But wait, he keeps quiet then. But yeah. you know, in the waiting room when Amber's on her deathbed, no, he can't shut up about 
freaking pancakes. Maybe know, so. it's just a rare moment where Max had his his train and his like belly is full and he's had toys and maybe he's just satisfied in that moment. So he's like, whatever, let them have it. But yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. Really good point. I did think his raising his hand was like a highlight um, of... <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy that. But, you know, you talking, I had two things after what you just said. Number one, I like that you said, you know, that Craig T. Nelson is a good actor, but then you also said Zeke is a good actor, which I love because those are not the same thing because Zeke is an actor. I mean, Viagra commercial, Sarah's play, right? And so I like the idea yeah. of the actual character relishing this chance to act, not just Craig T. Nelson, whose job it is in every episode to act, but you know what I mean? Like... And I thought that was, yeah, that's a, that's a cool idea. And, you know, that reminds me of my favorite note that I've ever heard from a director in a rehearsal was for a production of Into the Woods at NYU. When the director went to the students playing the baker and the baker's wife and said, can you guys be better actors? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he didn't mean it. It's, it's my favorite because it sounds so mean. But it was in a scene where they're pretending ah. that these worthless beings they have are magic. Mm. And they're trying to sort of sell another character on, oh, no, we mustn't give up our beans. <laughs> so what he meant was, can you, the characters, be better at this than you currently are? Like, yeah. make it more convincing. But <laughs> I thought if anyone in the room would just say, can you guys be better actors? <laughs> That's brutal. That is. Um, so that is kind of fun. And maybe that's part of why Zeke gets so into it. It's like an acting challenge or something. Can I convince them? But then the other thing you said that really spoke to me was the difference between faith and hope, because I've never really stopped to think about that before. I guess as a non-religious person, I, I don't have faith. Faith is like, I think, defined as belief without proof. And I have a tough time with that. I like proof, right? I like facts. <laughs> I and, and that's not to condemn anyone else who has faith. It's just that was the, the basic definition of it. Once I started really breaking it down, I'm like, well, I kind of have trouble with that. But hope, I usually don't have trouble with. And in fact, when I do, that's when things get dark um, for me, you know, like, yeah, yeah, like, uh, most of the pandemic, I've found ways to have some hope. And, and really, a lot of that is just feeling very grateful, <clears throat> you know, to be in a good marriage and to, you know, honestly have this fun project with you, my, you know, best friend, and to have things like this. But every once in a while, I do feel despair, as I'm sure most people have. And I think despair might be defined as like, a lack of hope, or at least a temporary lack of hope. And that's, that is so hard. And now I'm wondering with Victor, if they're trying to convince him to have faith, which I think would be fine if it was religious faith and that's what they believed, but instead it's Santa faith. And I don't think that makes sense. You know, that, sorry to interrupt, that may be part of it for me too, is that Santa faith feels so paltry in comparison to religious faith, even though I am not a person of religious faith anymore. I have a respect for it that I just don't have for Santa. Yeah. No, that no. It's just like, oh, you're you're trying to convince them of this. Uh, it just seems so stupid to me. Well, and it now makes me wonder, I actually have no idea if any of the people on Parenthood, like behind the scenes who, who make the show, if they're religious or not. It makes me wonder if... I know Craig T. Nelson 
is, is quite religious and uh, Monica Potter. I at least know those two. Interesting. Well, I just wondered if like the scene was really meant to be about like religious faith and Santa's almost like a stand-in or something because I wonder if that speech is meant to be about something bigger than Santa, but like network show maybe felt like, oh, we can't get preachy. We even get kind of close to it with that moment with Adam, you know, kind of praying in the in the hospital yeah. room. We've never really seen that on this show. In fact, well, we have with Renee, um, yeah. but in the Thanksgiving episode in season two, you know, Zeke starts the prayer, which is very kind, I think, of him to do that because it means something to Renee. But he starts it with, you know, I know you don't hear from me very often or I know we're not close, you know, something like that. And so I don't think the Bravermans are meant to be religious. Oh, yeah. And explaining death to Sydney and stuff, you know, like they they called it a lie, heaven. So it makes me think they're not religious. And so then I'm like, well, and Crosby says that they didn't grow up with, you know, baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball. You know. Yeah. It just makes me wonder, like, why? Why this? Is this a substitution or is this? I don't know. I, yeah. It just it struck me as interesting. But now it's making me realize they're trying to give Victor fake faith in something they know isn't real as opposed to real hope. And I think maybe hope is the true mm. thing that Victor needs. It's the thing with feathers that perches <laughs> on the soul. Nice. I love, I mean, it's, you know, I recognize it. I know that's Emily Dickinson, but I love that you quoted that. That makes me happy. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably what he needs is just to believe in some good and it doesn't have to take the form of a fictional character. <laughs> what did you think of the show's decision to like have Santa be real at the end, you know, like uh, <laughs> I that's I what did I write down? The moment in the hospital when Victor looks up and Santa's disappeared is when I roll my eyes clean out of my skull and groan out loud at my TV. <laughs> Although I did I added I was like I did appreciate that Santa was clearly about to get on an elevator. So you don't have to be Einstein to think that Santa just caught the elevator while Victor was looking away. Although on my second watch, there's not really time. Like Victor looks <laughs> down at his shoes and then Santa's gone. Which I, And just on this show, that is so much about reality. Things right. being grounded in reality. For there to be a supernatural moment of any kind, it's like, why is, is Amber going to find a ghost in her apartment in the next episode? <laughs> like, this is so stupid. And it doesn't warm my heart at all. No. I'm not like, oh, Victor. No. No. Well, this kid's stupider than I thought. <laughs> That's my takeaway. It is funny, though. You mentioned. I'm a Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it depends on what you're dealing with. You know, I mean, I used to love Buffy the Vampire Slayer with where crazy supernatural stuff happened all the time. But that was... But those are the rules of the show. That's the world that they've created. Yeah. yeah, this is supposed to be real life. And so I have a hard time with it. Although I recently watched most of, I'm not quite finished, uh, but Ted Lasso season two. And did you watch season two? Do you remember yeah. their Christmas episode? Like Santa streaks across the sky at the end. That's a realistic show, but it's a comedy. So like, I wondered if that bothered you as much, but like. I don't even remember that. Yeah. I, mean, I remember the Christmas episode. Yeah. At the end of it, so they've all, I think, similarly been trying to convince 
someone's son, the guy who works for Rebecca, I can't, Higgins, is that his name? Oh, uh-huh. They've all been trying to convince his son that Santa is real, I think. It's been a while since I've seen that episode. But then... Um, yeah, me too. And then at the end, Santa, like, streaks across the sky. And oh, you're gone. Yeah. And I was... <laughs> my, That's stupid. Yeah. My husband and I looked at each other. We're like, what the hell? <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense for this world. But it's also kind of a wacky world, and we just kind of went with it. Like... Yeah. Yeah. This I think is, that would bother me less than this. Yeah. Where it just... Yeah. Well, I do want to say... <laughs> So I, I have myself on record <laughs> with this storyline. So on December 11th, 2012, the day this episode aired, I posted the following on Facebook. Oh, I went back fun. and looked this up. Oh, I love it. I, my status was, Parenthood, I love you, but this Santa storyline is so stupid. What adult behaves like this? What is the virtue in convincing children to believe something you know for a fact isn't true? And I just want to also include the most intelligent reply to that status in 2012. It came from a friend I've had since elementary school who was also a mom. And I'm, she was, I'm pretty sure she was a mom by that point already. And she wrote, letting children do things like believe in Santa and read fairy tales challenges them at that stage. Later, those concepts may help them to know greater mysteries in life. I actually wrote a paper long ago about this very thing which I thought was an intelligent answer. I still think what she says, letting children do things like believe in Santa, to me is very different from- Convincing? Reconvincing. Yeah. Like, it sounds like Victor did believe in Santa at one point, but now he doesn't. He's already reached the stage of, I'm ready for greater mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So don't, why are you trying to regress him? I, and then also in uh, in January of 2016 I is when I finished my only rewatch of Parenthood since it aired. And I wrote a long Facebook post. Oh, I remember post that. Detailing. Yeah. I read it I every you, year. You would read it like every year. Yeah. So I had this long post with all my thoughts on the series. And one of the topics I mentioned was worst storylines. And I batted around a few like Sarah's playwriting career and Max's crusade to bring back the vending machines. But I ended that section with this line. Quote, I think the single worst story, period, has got to be Zeke restoring Victor's faith in Santa. Gag me. <laughs> Unquote. So you have always hated this and... I've always hated it. Your opinion has I, not wavered. I don't want to... I hope no one hates me. If I you really don't. Like this, if you like this Santa story in real life, you do you, and I don't judge you for doing it. I hope that you won't ever try and change someone's mind who's already learned the truth about it. That's really what bugs me. Yeah. But if the initial part of it brings you happiness, I say do it. I don't think it hurts anybody, but yeah. just then let kids grow up when they grow up. I think that's it exactly for me. And I wonder if, I mean, truly, I wonder if it's easier for you and I, since we don't have kids, to understand objectively how kids are people and they have these developmental stages and that it's important to let them experience them. And that, you know, like if Hattie falls in love with someone and is being responsible, she might have sex with him. And, and as long as they're consenting and there's respect there, like, and they're safe. Okay. You know, as opposed to the parents who are like, what? No, my baby, you know, like, I've always, okay, now maybe, maybe I'll just 
throw myself on the fire as well so that if anyone listening to us was mad at you, now they'll be mad at me, okay? Um, oh, thanks. I don't even know what you're going to say. <laughs> um, something I... Lisa hates puppies. <laughs> no, no, never. <laughs> I love puppies. No. Children's laughter. <laughs> no, everyone loves children's laughter. No, here it is. The thing that I sometimes think is terrible that I think, but when people will bemoan their children getting older, like they'll say, I wish they could stay this age forever. I actively hate that. And maybe again, I would feel differently if I had kids and maybe anyone out there is like, but they're only little for so long. But I'm like, yeah. And that's the importance of, in my mind, being present. It's it's what I think would have to get you through exhaustion and boredom sometimes and just tears other times. I mean, just all the things I know tangentially about being a parent from my friends and such. Like what gets you through is that it is a, a stage and every stage of life from infancy to old age, I think is meaningful and important. And I don't think it's a good idea to try to like regress or, y- you know, to, to force anyone else to stop. And I get that it's just a dumb expression, Melissa, chill out. Like no, nobody's actually finding yeah, no one says that the fountain in the middle of, of the night when the kid won't go to sleep or stop right. crying. <laughs> yeah. They want them to get past that age. Real quick. Right damn quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I understand the notion of this is a beautiful phase of my life that I wish could go on for a long time. How, how could I not? I mean, to be honest, I, I look at my dogs all the time and I, I wish, like, c- couldn't they just never die? Like, couldn't Mark and I just have those dogs until we die? So maybe what they're doing is the same thing. But somehow... Yeah. You know, I think it comes from the joy they feel in that moment. Yeah, you're right. That, of course, people want to hold on to. But it's like yeah. the end of Six Feet Under where he says, Can't take a picture of this. It's already gone. It's already gone. Yeah. Adam to... Uh, to yeah, to, <laughs> to Claire. Claire. It's Nate, but... Yes, Nate. Actually, another <laughs> one of my very favorite quotes from anything ever is Peter Krause, Nate slash Adam, but in, in Six Feet Under, somebody asks him, you know, at the funeral home for anyone who doesn't know Six Feet Under, why do people have to die? And his answer is... To make life important. I never forgot that. I always thought it was a really beautiful answer. And it's hard. I don't want to die. I am actively afraid of it. Um, but... I do agree that it makes life important. And I guess I think aging makes life important as well. And maybe the reason I don't (laughs) feel like I'm being a hypocrite when I talk about my dogs is, for the most part, they're largely the same. There's not a whole lot of development going on with, with dogs. I mean, yes, they have more energy as puppies and they slow down a lot when they're elderly dogs. But for the last several years, I mean, all during this pandemic, for sure, my dogs have been who they are. They're not like <laughs> developing a, a guitar playing skill or like learning a new language, you know. And so I mentioned this <laughs> because when Julia says that she wants Sydney to stay innocent a little while longer, I guess part of me is like, but to what? degree do you have control over that you know she she's learning something and you're making her unlearn it now and I, I get that it was not ideal the way she learned but I do think it's a little troubling when people when is it protection when when it does it become shielding you know and and honestly when well, I I find it selfish I mean that's something I think about the whole Santa storyline they want Victor to believe again because it'll make them happy I don't think Victor, yeah, I don't think Victor seems scarred no. by Santa not being real. 
Mm-hmm. And so I just think, sorry, Victor's development trumps your the little momentary joy you get for a few days once a year when he believes this lie you told him. Yeah. Fuck your lie. He's growing up. And to go... <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't mean to be so nasty about this. But also, one of my favorite songs of all time is James Taylor's Secret of Life. Mm. And the first line of that song is, The secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. Mm. And I think that's so true. If you can be happy with nothing being permanent, yeah, you're going to be happy about a lot of things. Yeah. Oh, that's because I am the same as you. I, you know, I'm afraid of dying. And but also like Julia Sweeney says in her show, Letting Go of God, if this is all there is, everything means more, not less. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> look what look what came out of this. Santa story. I know that's pretty... We're talking about our mortality. I, I think there might be something to that, though. You know, I, I, I think part of wanting to protect and preserve kids innocence is, I think, in some ways a fear of death. I know that sounds nuts, but it's like, how long can we put yeah. off growing up? Growing up means growing older. Growing older means getting closer to that. I mean, I mean, that's yeah. why Julia wanted to tell Sydney about heaven. Yeah. She wanted her to just stay in that phase a little long, which I can understand. And yeah. I'm not even sure she was wrong about that. Yeah. But it was the same conflict. But I also think you have to look at the other side. So something that I remember about being nine, and I mean, when Julia said she was 11 and Joel was like, that's not normal, I have to admit, while I while I bristle <laughs> at terms like normal and I don't think they're really um, healthy or helpful to use, I had to agree. I'm like, no, that is insane. I was nine and I was by far She's the oldest. freak. <laughs> I was the last person in my class to learn. I know that for a fact at nine. So 11 is like, oh man, you're in middle school. Yeah, that's- which song is it that says, don't let me be the last to know? Right, that's important too. <laughs> and so like- I remember friends of mine trying to break it to me. I, I mean, you get made fun of at school if you're the kid who still believes in Santa. You know, if, if people would be like, Melissa, I feel like you should know this. I mean, people weren't even telling me in a mean way. And I was like, my parents would not lie to me. I know that there's a Santa. And oh. like, so I was like kind of a fool. And I don't say <laughs> that to be mean to my parents, but I think parents sometimes only see it in one way. They just see it. I'm preserving my kid's innocence, but at what cost? Because they are only innocent for so long. And at some point it has to move on to the next phase of life. And it's not preserving anything. It's stunting if you don't let them. So anyway, that was a fun conversation. I enjoyed that. Thanks for that. I feel like I owe an apology to Santa, but... (laughs) You know, he's not real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's deal with some of the fallout from last episode. Sarah is not engaged to Mark anymore. And can we just talk about her parents? Yes, let's. I'm not saying a thing. What? I'm signing it. Seems like the best thing that could have happened. I mean, it wasn't the right guy. You know, we're moving on. Glad to have you back here, though. You're always welcome here. Oh, my God. Can we please stop talking about it? It's fine. Everybody's fine. You know, I'm worried about Drew more than anything. It's back and forth. The transitions and... Um, sorry, guys. I'm going to Amy's. I'll be back later. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bye. Looks like he's going to survive. <laughs> Come on. 
Uh, I had a lot of thoughts. Yeah, what were yours? Normally, they're such wonderfully supportive parents, but they kind of suck here. I felt like Zeke was okay. He's maybe not reading the room and like striking a too optimistic tone too soon. But Camille is practically saying, I told you so. Yeah. And like, well, 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 look who came crawling back. (laughs) You're always welcome here. I just felt so bad for Sarah. I mean, we already know that she often or always feels like a failure. And here she is having to move back in with her parents again. Yeah. And like, in a way, she can't do anything to help that. I don't know. It just seems like, gosh, your parents could be a little more gracious. And she just lost, you know, the most significant relationship she's had with maybe the exception of Seth. And that's only because she had kids with him. Yeah. In my opinion, you know, I think the healthiest relationship in her life. Yeah. The healthiest romantic relationship she's ever had for sure. Compassionate. Yeah. The, the way that Camille says, I'm not saying a word makes me think getting a dig in about the picture is more important than how your daughter feels. She gives Cammy. Yeah. (laughs) Cam Cam. (laughs) I feel like they're both looking at that photo differently. You know, Camille is like, well, she's, she's sort of likening it to Crosby having that very unsubstantial relationship that that girlfriend be in the picture. She's like, Oh, it happened again. Instead of, (laughs) instead of thinking about, wow, yeah, my daughter must be hurting. This meant something and now it's over. That's so sad. You know, Sarah's looking at that picture. She has a look of sadness on her face, which I'm glad for because otherwise Mark may just as well have never existed. Well, we'll talk about that. But, and then Zeke, I, I was mad on behalf of Mark, I think, because I'm like, why didn't anyone besides Amber understand how good Mark was for her. It's like, because he was younger, he was almost like a joke, like a punchline for Sarah's life. And I'm like, I I wish people would have really, like, I I think it's worth noting that Amber's the only one who really knew Mark very well at all. And she recognized it, you know? And I think no one else. Yeah, she's wise. Yeah, she is wise. And I just, I thought, I mean, it's one thing to say, well, if you broke up, I guess it wasn't right. But to just be like, yeah, it's the best thing that could have happened. Wasn't the right guy. Like that was so obvious. I'm like, what made him not the right guy? Oh, because Sarah doesn't understand how to be in a healthy relationship. Well, yeah. And also there's that added element. I mean, maybe it, it's irony even that if they don't know everything that went down. Yeah. The issue was totally not that Mark wasn't the right guy. Right. And I'm sure that stings to Sarah because it's like he absolutely was the right guy. I messed it up. Yeah. I lost the right guy. So it's it's not very comforting to be told, well, he wasn't the right guy. Yeah. Because that's not true. But then it was interesting because then I wondered later in this storyline with Hank. Okay, so on my first watch for today, I was really kind of startled because I thought she seemed so sad and so low. Like it's why she was fighting with people in, in the line when she's dressed as the, you know, elf. To me, I'm like, oh, she is grieving. Like, she's grieving the loss of her relationship and moving back home and and that not working out. And then she and Hank had that really weird talk in the bar. And I'm like, wait, what? You know, she, she, (laughs) I was so confused. I wondered, what on earth is up with Hank? 
yeah. in that scene. He's the one swooping in with the great social skills with yeah, customers. Yeah, that was nuts. He's saving Sarah from an awkward social interaction. Also, he's doing Christmas photos with children and Santa because it pays his rent for a year. I But he won't do weddings? <laughs> that must pay for rent for his whole life. <laughs> if I had to deal with brides or children and Santa, yeah. give me brides every day. Yeah. Also, a wedding is one day. Yeah. Taking pictures of kids with Santa at a mall is probably what, two weeks worth of work at least. Yeah. It just seems like, anyway, whatever. No, I agree. Plus, working at a wedding is at least, I would think, like classy. You wear dress-up clothes. You know, you're, you're I, I would imagine you would feel very adult. You get to have a cocktail after you finish, you know, like, I mean, I guess they still have a cocktail after they finish. But like, <laughs> you know, there, there was just, yeah, compare that to... I would think it would feel almost embarrassing you know, if you're a real serious photographer. Like my assistant has to be an elf now. Like Sarah got to just wear a pretty dress looking pretty at wedding. His gift says, <laughs> you know, like that yeah. was there. It just felt like, I mean, Hank didn't feel like himself in that scene to me. And it felt like a clunky way just so that they could drive home the point that Sarah was taking the breakup hard. Like you can't figure out any other way. We just, well, we have to have Hank doing something he wouldn't ever do and then behaving in a way yeah. I don't think he would behave. Sidebar, do you know who was playing Santa? I do! Googie Grass! <laughs> He's back again! I knew it was him only because I saw his name in the credits. Yeah, I'm not sure if he'd ever been in the credits before. Maybe he had when he was Mr. Wormley. Yeah, but I can't I think remember. Googie's working his way up from the end credits to the opening credits. Yay! He, it's funny, on IMDb, he's credited in this episode as Jeff Wormley, <laughs> which was the character he played in season three when he was a fundraiser for Bob Little. Oh, I mean, maybe it's supposed to be Mr. Wormley who's playing Santa. Maybe that's something he does okay. in the community as so well. So at first I was like, no way. But then when Sarah has that line, I can smell the rum from here. <gasps> yeah, I, I noted the exact same thing because he got drunk in this last episode. Yeah. And Amber had to tend to him. So I'm like, this is consistent. I think it is Mr. Wormley. <laughs> That's so great. I love that. Also, Lauren Graham dressed as an elf reminded me of her role in the movie Bad Santa, which I've never seen. I even looked, Googled. It's like, did she dress as an elf in that? I don't think she did. But she played a woman who has a sexual fetish for Santa. Yes. So it was a. Uh, you know, kind of elf adjacent. Elf adjacent, yes. Um, <laughs> if if Sarah were to follow her character's path, she would now leave Hank for Gookie Grass <laughs> for for Mister for Mister oh. Wormley. Yeah, she she would, she likes alcoholics. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, no. I, um, I recently saw Bad Santa for the first time, and it's crazy how young she is too. Like I'm like, oh my gosh. That's like Gilmore Girls era, you know. And yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was good. It was good, but not as good as parenthood. Okay, so now let's discuss this weird scene in the bar. Pathetic. That's the word. Oh, well, I am pathetic, so. No, that's I'm fine. sorry. I'm no, no, no. That's, I am. It's good. That's horrible. It's all right. Sorry. Sorry. I'm horrible and pathetic. You're not horrible. You're not pathetic. I'm pathetic. I'm pathetic. You want to challenge me? Yes. All right. Uh, I'm sitting in a mall, and my daughter is in Minnesota, and it's Christmas. You're up. I'm 42, mm -hmm. and 
I had just moved back in with my parents. You were, <laughs> you were in the prize. You know, sitting in a crummy mall, terrible bar, it's an awful drink, dressed like one of Santa's helpers. And I feel so good. Do you? And I think it's because of you. <laughs> well. I feel good because of you. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm happy I met you. Yeah. I'm not happy because you know, I'm never going to be happy. I, I've accepted that. But I'm almost happy. I found that to be the most depressing conversation <laughs> that anyone could ever have. <laughs> <laughs> and I... It could have been in Russian. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I, I like literally almost felt like crying watching it. And this might sound dramatic, but I think... The things that really got me, you know, Caleb and I were kind of like mouthing stuff to each other while we were playing that scene. And one of the things Caleb just said was when, when, you know, Hank was like, well, I feel good because of you. And Caleb's like, why, why would, why would she not believe that? Oh yeah. She's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what really. You've known that he's had a crush on you. This whole. Yeah, yeah. Several, several episodes. But it felt like, speaking of regression, it felt like regression to me because I don't think she ever did that with Mark. I think if Mark complimented her, she sort of like lit up and laughed and like knew that he meant it. And I think on some level she knows that, that Hank means it too. But I think their whole dynamic, as evidenced in this scene, is a sad sack dynamic. They even have like a pathetic off. And I'm like... <laughs> You know? Or even the winner is a loser. Right! <laughs> and I'm like, I just can't imagine Mark ever doing this with her. Where no. I feel like all Mark did was lift her up. And she was raised up. You know, I mean, I, I really, I don't, I think in ways that I've never even gotten before. I, You know, we had Amy on just a few episodes ago. And I found myself saying things to her like, well just based on my memory of where this all eventually went, being like, yeah, I think you might be right. Maybe she and Hank do ultimately have more in common, even though I loved her and Mark. But watching this, I'm finding it more heartbreaking than I remember because I I'm just like, boy, so to be with Hank, they have to get drunk together in a bar before their first time and talk about how unhappy they are. And even when she says, you know, well, I'm drinking this bad drink in a terrible bar dressed as Santa's helper, but I feel so good. I'm like, what? Like, this whole episode, you've been sad. You've been looking at that picture all sad. You've been arguing with customers because you're grieving. I'm like, what? I've seen no evidence that you're feeling good. I, yeah. I don't understand. You seem like you're depressed. And he's your depression yeah. buddy. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And it is what she has in common with Hank, the worst part of herself. Yes, that's like, it too. That's, yeah, that's, and if, I mean, 
Maybe. I'm not saying that's not true, but it's... It's not good? It doesn't feel like cause for celebration. No. I feel yeah, like... It, I, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was so conflicted about this scene, too, because I thought what she said about being miserable about everything in her life, but feeling happy because she's with him, was really beautiful if it took place in a total dramatic vacuum with yeah. none of the circumstances around it that we know about. But yeah, I couldn't help but feel like she was just doubling down on the biggest factor in the demise of her healthy relationship Yeah, because it's the only good thing left. Yeah. Like, because if she didn't have Hank, well, then she's just alone on Christmas. Yeah. And living with her parents. Yes, that is depressing. But I wrote down, if a fire burns down your entire house except for the master bathroom, you don't just live in the master bathroom. You knock that down, too, and you get a new house. Yeah. So, That's, like, yeah. Yeah. Hank, Hank is the only thing left. Ditch him, too, and start over. You've yeah. got a lot going for you, but I don't think it's him. I don't know. It is it is so interesting because I... I really think in previous watchings, it was just the likability of Ray Romano. And I've said and it before. he is damn likable. Damn likable. And I mean, yeah, if you, like you said, if you could look at it in a vacuum, then like his gesture at the end of the episode, you know, giving her the present and even being shy about giving her the present. I mean, again, I loved Luke Danes on Gilmore Girls. I can definitely be into the idea of someone who's gruff, but like sweet underneath. I'm actually married to that. <laughs> but what I don't love is this idea that like even the gift he gives her, when you really break that down, it's like, oh yeah. And she had to convince you to do the wedding and she was engaged to someone else at that wedding. And you took a picture of her and it started her down this path towards you. <laughs> and I don't know. It just makes it. Oh yeah. You just ruined it. Sorry. I was like. I was like, well, Hank's gift was great. I got to hand it to him. The picture was great. It was a beautiful picture. It was picture. gorgeous. And Although you know, she helped by yeah, being gorgeous. Yeah, by being gorgeous. <laughs> and I, you know what? I will say, labeling the picture looking pretty at wedding or, or at the wedding. I can't remember if there was the there. But I thought that was a very sweet way to label it. Like, pretty. And that was actually what he called her. The, the episode of their first kiss. He, I think he said, like, you know, he had all these... You're funny. Comp- you're pretty. Yeah. yeah. I do think pretty is a really interesting word because you usually hear beautiful and there's something, like, so serious about it. And him continually using the word pretty for her, I do find likable. There's something sort of boyish about it. Like, oh, she's the pretty girl and wow, she likes me. You know, it like kind of reverts them a little. And I'm the troll who lives under the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) I've just ruined this pretty girl's life, but no. Um, I did not remember that they slept together so soon. No, me neither. That scene after the bar, when it cuts to them in bed, I'm like, wow, that was quick. It kind of made me sad. I'm like, you just. Me too. Yeah. Because yeah. it felt like, well, Mark was right. I mean, yeah. if, if she was trying to, in her own head, be like, oh, man, this all fell apart because of a misunderstanding. And Mark caught us and thought something was going to happen. But, but it wasn't. Was happen. But it was going to happen because it just happened. Yeah. And I'm sure she could rationalize it. Or him. I mean, I don't mean to put this all on her, but you could rationalize it as, well, because that fell apart, now we're going to go ahead and do it. It was like, But 
if nothing had been going on, how would it have ever happened this fast? I, right, right. There was uh, something going on. and Yeah, and Mark was just right all along, and yeah. you were lying to him, even as you were trying to save the relationship. Yeah. You know, the argument was not, I do have feelings for Hank, but I'm compartmentalizing them, and I'm not acting on them. That was not the argument they were having. No. It was, how could you say that? I would never. Right, right. <laughs> and I, yeah, I think that's what made me sad. I'm like, ugh. So Jason Ritter's on the show on and off since season one. It yeah, felt, what's his Christmas like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it <laughs> felt guy. it felt like such a kind of betrayal of the character. Not even from Sarah, like from the writers or something. I'm like, how could you do him like that? But then I'm like, oh, Melissa, calm down. I don't know. It was hard to even understand why I was that upset about it. Usually, even though obviously I'm the sort of person who would do a podcast about characters. So like there's some suspension of disbelief. For whatever reason, this really got me. I just felt like the idea of her not having her healthy relationship and just, yeah, getting getting into the muck with, with the person who they just bring out the worst in each other. I feel like she went from the person who brought out the best in her to the person who brings out the worst and she's just going to live there now. And at least at least it was sweet. The, the scenes with Ray Romano were sweet. I just could not stop contextualizing all of it. You know, I think if I just stumbled in not having seen anything else and saw him give her that, that picture, I would have been so moved, you know? So I took almost exactly that note about this scene. I got you this. It's really nice wrapping paper. Yeah, it's nothing. Uh, <laughs> it's just laying around, it's... but uh, open it later. Do you want to come in? Have a eggnog? That might be a little much. I didn't really mean it. Polite <laughs> Christmas spirit. No, I'm not drunk, so I'm just going to say this fast. About what I said before, mm. that we can make this a one-time thing. Mm. By the way, if that's what you want, I'm good. That's that's fine if that's what you want. But I just want to um, to clarify. Yeah, that's uh, that's not how I feel. I'm in. I feel pretty much the opposite. <laughs> yeah. You're not horrible. That's what I came to say. You're, uh, you're incredible. I was thinking about what you said on our episode with Amy, and I couldn't agree more about how if Sarah and Mark had broken up yeah. at the end of season three, because they were at different stages of life or whatever, and then she got the job with Hank and kind of fell for her boss... I would be way more open to it. Yeah. I'm not sure he's in a healthy place. I mean, it feels a little bit parallel to Amber and Ryan this episode. Yeah. Which we'll discuss in greater detail, but it is sort of like Ryan, I think, needs to work on himself yeah. before he's ready for something. And I think Hank has a lot of work to do before he's ready for something. And it feels like Amber removes herself from that situation yeah. in this episode and Sarah dives right in. Yes. Amber is wise, as you said earlier. Yeah, it's hard to be happy for Sarah. It is. It all feels tainted. She cheated on Mark with Hank. Yeah. Like almost completely emotionally. Yeah. Sure. But she was unfaithful with Hank's complicity yeah. to a character that I really like. Yeah. It's going to take some time for me to genuinely like them together. Me too. And, you know, as you just said that it would be wise of Hank to, to work on himself, which I agree. And honestly, part of the appeal of a character like Mark is that 
he seems exactly like the sort of person who's ready for a relationship because he's... Move in ready. Yeah, move in ready. <laughs> if he, he were has, a house, he'd yeah. be move in ready. Yes, he has worked Turn on key. himself. Yeah, he's he's yeah. good. But Hank has has some some stuff. But Sarah is doing this thing that I think is really unhealthy when people in real life do it. And I know so many people in real life who do it. They don't take some time after a major relationship ends to reflect and mourn and figure out what went wrong and let themselves, honestly, it sounds terrible, but feel the pain. I think it is so important to let yourself be hurt when something hurtful happens. Instead, I think often people are like, well, I this is too hard. I don't want to feel this. This I hate this. And so instead, they rush into a relationship so that Anesthetize. they... Anesthetize. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They want to feel the excitement and newness of that instead of the pain of the other thing ending. But I almost never think that goes well. You know, I, I think that that's usually... Um, I don't know. You're not like fully ready for it. You have some processing to do from why the last thing didn't work out. And so, yeah, yeah, makes me really concerned. That reminds me of a line from the play Peter and the Starcatcher where a little girl says, it's supposed to hurt. That's how you know it meant something. Ooh, love that. I think you're right. People do want to skip that. And then the kind of the consequences, well, so you're saying it didn't mean anything. Yeah. And that's a horrible way to even like retroactively treat Mark on top of the horrible way she actually treated Mark. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I'm starting to realize this is maybe what made me feel like it was also tragic is I have people in my life who I've seen, in, in my opinion, settle for people who, I don't know, it's not like Hank is a bad person. You know, Hank has a lot of good qualities too, right? But it's maybe not the most ideal person and time and place. And I've seen so many people I know who just like, because maybe they don't want to be alone, they'll be like, this person is here. Okay. You know, and they just kind of go with it. And who am I to judge? I'm very lucky. I really love who I'm with and, and you know, that maybe it's shitty for me to judge anyone else's thing, but I, I just... I, I worry sometimes like, well, if you don't love your own company, you know, and, and I think maybe Sarah doesn't. And I think maybe mm. the only time she did was when she had Mark, because <laughs> that's the most confident we've seen her the whole show. You know, we really yeah. didn't see a lot of those deep, dark, you know, insecurities that we've seen literally every other <laughs> time of her life. And yeah, it just makes me sad that that's not there anymore. And now the person she's with, they talk about how pathetic they are. I hate that. Yeah. And there's not even any other circumstances weighing on her to like make this thing with Hank work. Mm -hmm. Whereas like with Seth, we never really saw her trying to make their marriage work because they were not married when the series began. Yeah. But like in season three, when he was going through rehab and she was trying to help or when he was back in season two to visit and she was trying not to badmouth him in front of the kids and stuff, that made sense that she was trying to make the best of that relationship because it wasn't about her then. Yeah. It was, I'm trying to salvage a relationship between Seth and our children. Right. And if there's any way they cannot hate him, if there's any way they can get something from their relationship that will be meaningful. I want that for them. Yeah. So I'm going to maybe sacrifice some of my own comfort or health to keep this functioning. But she has nothing like that with Hank. Like no. you really could there's there's no external circumstance 
persuading her to make that work. Yeah. Knock down the master bath. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hank is a master bathroom left standing after a fire. Mark is a turnkey. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I think we're right. There's probably a lot of Hank fans out there who are like, what are they doing? And I'm sorry to you. I am. But well, he, you know, we've not seen the last of him, so we'll see how. Yeah. (laughs) Does it improve? Yeah. Maybe he starts adding on to the bathroom. Maybe, yes, that's that's a very good point. And what again, an odd metaphor. <laughs> it's it's odd, but it feels right. And I again want to say, all these negative feelings I have are squarely about Hank the character because I think Ray Romano kills it. I think he is brilliant. And it's amazing. And it, you know what really is? I said this last podcast with Mark, but I'll just reiterate. If there were an actor not as good or not as likable, I think Hank could not work to the point that the entire storyline wouldn't make sense. Like, why on earth is she going to this monster? I don't think he's a monster, but everything he does and says is sort of like, no, no, turn away. Danger, Sarah Braverman. Yeah. It's only because Ray Romano is likable and selling it. Yeah. That I go along as much as I do. And and if we weren't discussing and dissecting it, I think I would even more so be going along. Me too. Oh, well, I like him too. Yeah, me too. Me too. Not sure I do. Yeah. <laughs> I I've always been sad when this happens, but I've I've never been like this is a mistake, like of great. Yeah. I've never been like what this is we can't come back from this. I've never felt like that before. So, yeah. Well, we alluded to them. Let's talk about them. Amber and Ryan. Yeah. First of all, Buddy is just Amber's term of endearment for Ryan, right? I mean, because yes. it's all over. And it's, it's all over. It's been in previous episodes, too, since yeah. we noticed it. It's just always Buddy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I was looking up interviews with Monica Potter oh. for her storyline in this episode, and an interesting topic arose in one of her interviews with Gold Derby. I love that. As a fan, as a little fan question in me, but you, I think, your character started calling Max Buddy on the show, mm-hmm. and then it seemed to evolve. Then you saw Lauren Graham's character calling her kids Buddy and her boyfriend Buddy, and then you had Erica Christensen calling her kids Buddy. Is that something that's in the script, and they just feel like that's a, the family nickname, or did that just happen organically? I started it. <laughs> I started it all. Hey, buddy. And there's different ways to say, but hey, buddy. Hi, buddy. No, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I sort of just, it just comes out. Yeah. Hey, buddy, you know. Wow. I'm glad other people have noticed. Yeah. It's not like there was any great revelation, but I, I was just happy. I felt seen. Yes. Like, oh, someone else notices. Just the sheer number of times. Yeah. It's all over. It's crazy. Yeah. And the way she, <laughs> Amber calling... <laughs> Calling Ryan buddy is especially hilarious. Like she's like shoving a hot cookie in his mouth and she's like, it's fine, buddy. Like it's like, what? Yeah. what is this? And they're like eating gum out of each other's mouths. They have a funny, good like relationship even when it's going well, you know? In a way, I I think it's kind of effective at, um, I don't want to say desexualizing Matt Loria because he's still very sexy, but <laughs> he's so sort of Hollywood sexy where he's like, tall and jacked and yeah and she's so tiny i think it feels like incongruous to have a guy who looks like that be called buddy but i think it might even be helpful for me to not be objectifying him Uh. oh he's a person 
<laughs> he's buddy. He's not some like Adonis. He's yeah. buddy. He's just like <laughs> they relate to each other in a way that is not purely based on how he looks. Yeah. No, that's true. And well, I'm sure that's why she decided to call him buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta fix how hot he is. It does speak to a tenderness that goes beyond physical attraction, though. Yeah. And that is really yeah, buddy's not a lustful term. Yeah. Yeah. It's playful. It's playful and yeah. And it's like sort of a sweet thing, yeah, to call a soldier who's very tough. You know, it it is I do kind of love that. I've never really even broken it down before, but I really love that now that we're talking about it. We're breaking down Santa. We're breaking down Buddy. We've got this covered. <laughs> Thank God you're listening to this podcast, man. Like just <laughs> we are dissecting so in the way that hank felt a little off to me in that santa scene i also felt like maybe i was just in a mood on yeah. my first watch but i felt like amber was a little off in this scene with ryan i went to joel and julia's today oh uh-huh. how they doing well I, they're okay okay cool Something you want to talk to me about? What happened? I don't know. I'm sorry. It's okay, buddy. It don't just... apologize. It's okay. Oh. It's all right. If you know, I'm just I'm confused because I thought you were excited and you you seemed like it was going well and no, it so... didn't go well. It was it was it was a mess. Really? Yeah, it was not the right job for me. But okay, I'm really sorry. I handled it completely wrong. It's okay. I do feel like we should clear this up with Joel, though. Obviously, right? I mean, did you did you have a plan for doing that or a plan? Like <laughs> you should go. You should go now. They're there. I mean, you should just you should just go. Take my car and go. Are you serious? Yeah. Just explain. Just you know, it, he's very cool. He he understands. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, this just didn't totally feel like Amber to me. I it made more sense on my second watch, but. The first time I watched it, I was like, what does she even mean, go clear things up with Joel? Like, he left the job. They're done. I, I think I understand she probably just means, yeah, clear that up. Like, like are apologize you guys on good or... terms? Yeah, maybe you need to apologize. Maybe Joel wants to apologize. I don't know if Ryan knows that Joel, like, went and knocked on his door and he didn't answer, but... Maybe Joel was there to clear things up and it's just left unresolved. So I think she's saying resolve it. But even that, I feel like, is Amber so concerned with resolving things? And I guess now as I'm saying it, though, she got him the job. Yeah. And she asked Joel really to do it as a favor. And it went badly. So I think from Amber's point of view, it's not even that she wants Ryan to resolve his relationship with Joel. She wants to make sure her relationship with Joel is respectful. Yeah. And so I might have convinced myself out of this. But like, and then putting the keys in his hand, go do it right now. Like, would Amber do that? I, I don't know. Maybe. It, it made, it would have made, I think, a little more sense to me if she had been like, could we like go over there together and like maybe just have dinner and kind of just make sure everything's cool? Would that be all right? And then she would have been there too. And I think that would have been less pressure. I was like, does he even know where Joel lives? I mean, I'm sure he does if she gave him the keys, but you know, it just, I would have found that awkward as well, you know, as, as Ryan, like, oh, you want me to drive over there and explain why I didn't work out? I don't even, yeah. So. Well, because no one on Parenthood knows how to use a phone (laughs) right there's no calling him and saying you know i'm sorry there's no calling christina hey how do you 
get Max to do math, you know, no, I yeah. have to go there. You I have, have to go. a face to face. Of course you do. TV. <laughs> yes. So I, when you bring it up like that, then I agree. There are some maybe holes in it, or it seems like strange or out of character for Amber. So I'm just going to get a little serious for a moment though, and say that I really, really, really related to this uh, storyline from the relationship I had when I was 19 and 20. It almost felt a little triggering actually to, mm. to watch. Um, not so much that scene, although maybe a little because how I interpreted that scene was her really trying to fix him, you know, like he needs help. I'm in this thing to help him, you know, and that I definitely related to. And I remember back when I was with my ex-boyfriend, if someone would say to me like, oh, who are, who's your boyfriend? Who are you dating? I always tensed up a little before I said who it was, because probably about half of the time, if someone had heard of him, they'd heard not good things. And it felt like a real responsibility. Like I was then immediately going to have to jump into uh, defending him. Like, oh, he's really different now. He's, he's changed. He's cool. And that's, I'm sure, different from Ryan because Ryan's past is that he's, you know, a soldier. And my ex-boyfriend's past was that he was a criminal. You know, he was um, an ex-con. And so that's why a lot of people had bad things to say. But I really recognized that because I wanted everyone in my family to really like him. And uh, most of them didn't. <laughs> they, they were like, probably you shouldn't be with him. And they were right. Yeah. You know, even you saying that, I, I feel a little dumb because that feels like so clearly what was going on in that scene. She wanted them to like him. Yeah. Oh, no, you're going to think something bad about Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think is correct. And I, yeah. Yeah. But I think that's where Amber of was coming she from. Did. Yeah. I think that's yeah. where she was coming from. And so that scene made me think of it, but especially the um, nervous call and being like, um, you're not in Mexico with my car, are you? Ha ha ha. Like joking, but like truly being so worried and being ready to call hospitals. I mean, there were many nights when I called hospitals and then my ex would, would come back and he was drunk and he had been driving drunk and I was just out of my mind with worry. And actually one time that he didn't come back, it was the middle of the night and I called hospitals and he was actually in jail for drunk driving. Um, and then I had to like go oh. to the jail and like my mom, I think bailed him out. It was just so not good. All of that felt very familiar. And I was like, Oh gosh, I really like Ryan, but this is so much. This is just so much for her. Like, I just thought this poor thing, like, this is not great. So anyway. Those phone calls reminded me of a time in a previous episode when Sarah said, I think it was maybe to Julia, mm -hmm. that Seth would vanish for weeks at a time. Yes. And she had no idea where he was. Yeah. And she would have to lie to the kids and she would tell them, oh, he's on tour or something. Right. When in reality, she didn't know where he was. That's so terrifying. Oh, my God. Yeah. I hadn't imagined her doing that, even though she'd said it. And then seeing Amber do it, I thought, oh, this is what it is, except what if they had kids? Yeah. And what if it wasn't a night that he was gone, but a week? Yeah. Oh, gosh. And and then it just felt very ominous. Like, this is history repeating itself, isn't it? Yeah. And Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like, how can you function? No, I mean, like, I've never really put this together before, but no wonder Sarah doesn't have a steady career. Like, 
she could probably barely have the mental capacity to like 10 bar raise these kids if she's constantly worrying about her husband's safety the whole time they were together. You know, you can't, you can't like take night classes while you're constantly afraid that your husband's like dead in a ditch somewhere. Honestly, you know, if, if you're going to have a family really young, like they did, and then you're going to be very successful, that requires communication and stability and making a schedule like, okay, I'm going to have classes on these nights. You're going to be with the kids. Like she was never able to do any of that because of who she was married to. And I think it's why it troubles me how often she and Hank drink together, honestly, because I'm like, you know, it kind of feels a little bit like of the past, like, oh, when things aren't going great, what do you guys do? You, you drink. And, and uh, you know, I, I think drinking can be fine, but there are scary things that this show has dealt with about alcohol. And yeah. Yeah. And maybe Sarah doesn't use alcohol in a healthy way without being an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. Like there are many levels, I would think. Like, yeah, you don't have to. It's not a coping mechanism. Yeah. To get drunk. No, it shouldn't be. Or it shouldn't be. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But it seems like a couple of times now with Hank, it has been in the relatively short time they've known each other. And how many more times has she been drunk since knowing him than before knowing him too? I mean, it's interesting. And when she went off with Gordon that one night and didn't come home, and they didn't know where she was. Yes. Was she drinking then? She was. That was kind of the point, I think. They were drinking probably something fancy in that limo. Yeah. And overslept. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. It's... Well, (laughs) Yeah. let's discuss the climax of this search for Ryan. Ryan, are you okay? What happened? You scared me. Why didn't you pick up the phone? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you sure? Yes, I'm fine. God, why didn't you pick up? Where were you? I was, uh... What the hell happened to the car? Well, I... Well, I was trying to leave the parking lot and and one of the yellow uh, pole things that was... Are you drunk? No, I'm not drunk. You're drunk. No, I'm not. I had a couple of beers. You're lying to me. You're clearly drunk. You're you're slurring your speech. You're... (laughs) I'm not drunk. I'm sorry. Can you just explain to me the sequence of events that yeah, you, yeah. you you went to Joel's and then no, you No, I didn't go to Joel's because you I... You didn't even go? <laughs> no, I didn't even go. I just... Why would you because not go? The reason I didn't go is because I want to talk to him when I want to talk to him, not forcing whoa, me to whoa, make whoa, to whoa, make an ass of myself on his front doorstep so he can judge me even said... more, and I don't want to go. Well, I'm trying to help. You're trying to change me. You're trying to fix me into something that I'm not. Please, that's crazy. So that maybe I can go. Oh, I am crazy. I'm sorry. I'm not going to Christmas with your family so they can judge me and everyone can think I'm crazy. I'm sorry about your freaking car, and it's my fault. (gasps) Ryan, come here. That also was very familiar. That those were the kinds of fights I had in that relationship oh my god yeah and it's just so so unhealthy and i'm honestly just really proud that she recognized that but yeah do you remember at the time what you would sort of say to yourself to get past the fight and stay in the relationship oh yeah i mean honestly i think i just there was just so much i didn't understand i mean the relationship i have now is you know, I mean, no relationship is perfect, but it's so healthy. (laughs) Like we, we, 
if we do fight, it's almost never shouting, right? It's like, you know, just more of a disagreement and we know each other so well and we know how to like cool down and then come back together. And it's just so calm. It's so calm (laughs) is what it is. Even though (laughs) he's a fiery person, our dynamic is very peaceful and, and, but I didn't know that when I was in the relationship with that guy. I'd never been in a healthy relationship before. And all I had to go on was I'd been in a few very short relationships that lasted just a couple of months. And the guy always just lost interest and left. And so I thought when I was with this, this other person for like a year and a half, I remember thinking, well, he really needs me. And that's love. And it's, I think, why I get kind of bristly at the idea that Sarah thinks that being needed like that is love. But I I really think I confused the two for a long time. And I thought because I felt responsible for my ex's sobriety and because I was helping him and I didn't know what he'd be without me, I was like the only good thing in his life. I think I, I was just like, okay. And I honestly didn't really know better. I didn't know like, well, this isn't how you fight in a relationship. I, I was like, maybe, you know, I don't know. It's rare that you see people's fights. And sometimes when you do, like on a show like Parenthood or something, which, you know, came on way, way after I was in this relationship, it's romanticized, right? Like it's passionate and it's, you know, it's, um, it's ha- jealousy and rage are all signs that they care. And if someone is, you know, if it's quiet and calm and like literally you're just drinking tea and reading books and listening to NPR, well, that's boring, (laughs) but no, it's magic. That's wonderful. (laughs) Like that's, that's the dream. Um, and so anyway, but yeah, those, those are all my thoughts about that. And I kind of can't believe that Amber is able to be so mature about this because I think, it would have been just as believable, even witnessing her parents, maybe especially witnessing her parents, for her to convince herself, like, especially since that was really his first major outburst with her. How long had you been dating that boyfriend before there was something of this magnitude? Not long at all. Um, See, that's su- surprising yeah. to me, because one thing I liked about this scene was... I sort of admired the show, well, both the show and Matt Loria for taking Ryan to such an extreme place. Yeah. Because in a way, I liked that we saw that the level of anger he displayed in that scene coexisted with all the stuff we'd seen up to this point. Yeah. Where he had been very gentle and shy and kind and respect. You know, the guy who wouldn't even kiss her at the end of their first date, he was so, you know... And I appreciated that complexity. It's like, yeah, all of those things exist inside of him. Yeah. Because it would be easy to see a scene like this and go, well, that guy's crazy. He's, right. he's evil. <laughs> well, he's not. No. There's a lot else to him. Yeah. And that's why people might stay, I would think. Yes. Well, you don't know him like I know him. If all you see is this fight, yeah, of course you would say. Well, I will say you? in my relationship, even though it was early on that I would see that side of him, I also saw gentleness and a lot of really wonderful things as well. And I mean, I think for me, since my ex was an alcoholic and he was only that terrible version of himself when drunk, I was able to convince myself he was like two different people living in one body. And what we had to do was like kill the drunk person. And, you know, we had to just make sure that he never drank so that he never became that. When somebody you love drinks, it's 
like they're a different person. And, and so I would spend all my time with him and not with my friends or not with myself, even though I love time by myself, because, well, we got to make sure he doesn't drink. And, you know, he would even lean into that. He'd be like, well, y- you can go out with your friends. I don't know what I'll end up doing. And so then I wouldn't. Oh. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> but, yeah. Did you ever talk to your mom about that? and Or did you ever wonder if there were parallels between that relationship and when your father was drinking? Because I know yeah. they got divorced and it kind of really was yeah. just about the drinking, right? It was. And then they, once he stopped drinking, they remarried and then they had yeah. me. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of strange. I I kind of don't remember. I know that my mom liked him more than anyone else in the family. I think she was worried, but she also kind of saw the good parts of him that other people didn't. Um, He would get nervous before big family gatherings, just like Ryan, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go into this nice big family gathering for Christmas. They're all going to be like, who the hell is that? You know, like very paranoid, you know, about like not feeling like you deserve it because you came from like maybe a family that wasn't so supportive or kind. Yeah. I, I think mom was so fond of him. And I think we did have talks, but I think... I don't know. She she never like forbade me from seeing him. I don't think that would have worked anyway. But yeah, I don't know. I think maybe we did talk about parallels, but nothing nothing so memorable that it's like sticking in my brain. I think she was worried, but she also had some unhealthy ideas about love. And, you know, it was while I was in that relationship that my mom was in a not so great relationship of her own, which was after my father and before the very Mm. healthy relationship she has now. So I think my mom didn't really, in some ways, know better either, even though she she is at an age where you'd think she would. But people are in abusive relationships at every age, right? And, And really intelligent people are. And I think it has so much to do with what you understand about what love is supposed to look like and how much you like yourself and respect yourself. I mean, this episode taught me that Amber has so much self-respect. It's amazing. Yeah. Way more than her mom, (laughs) which is both awesome and sad. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't remember this final scene between her and Ryan. And I'm kind of shocked that I didn't because it had such an impact. I was so impressed. Amber, I'm so sorry. I just was so ashamed and so embarrassed to go to Joel and to come to your family's Christmas. I don't have a family like this. I didn't feel like I fit, you know? I hate the way I treated you. You should never be treated that way. I'll do anything. I'll, I will, like, hang out with your grandpa more. Stop, it's fine. I want to fix it. Ryan, I love you. I am in love with you. But... I watched my mom, like, get completely dragged down by somebody, you know, who just couldn't even stand on his own. And she just threw everything she had at it, and it didn't make him better, and it didn't make her better. And I just know, I just know that that's not how to love. I think we just need time apart. I think that's the only way. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wish there was another way. God, she's a spiritual genius. I mean, that's exactly what a person should do. 
in that relationship. And it's exactly what I never did until a year and a half in. And some people, decades, some people a lifetime. But like the speech that he gave, I absolutely would have, I don't want to say fallen, like I would have fallen for it, but I, that would have worked Yeah, because I think he means it. I think he means it too. I don't think he's like, I'm going to keep behaving this way and trick her into being... No, I think he does think she deserves to be treated better. Agreed. And that's why I would just tell myself, oh, he's two people. (laughs) You know, this is the real Ryan. And that one was the drunk Ryan. And we just don't even pay attention to what drunk Ryan does because it's not him. Yeah. And I felt like even though she broke up with him, she was still very respectful of him in what she said. And I also, I noted, and maybe this is because I know that this is not the last we see of Ryan. Yeah. In the series, at least. I can't remember if he's in the rest of this season or I, I really, <laughs> big details about this relationship. I do not remember what happened. Me too. So excited. Yeah. But I did note that she did not say they were done forever. Yeah, I noticed you know, that She said, too. like, we need to take some time or I now I forget what she said a but break i think we need it's a, yeah, yeah yeah she left the door open a little bit yeah and i thought that was actually kind of nice mm-hmm. because I, I don't think ryan is a bad person or irredeemable i like him a lot and often i really like them together yeah me too but at the at the very least i do think they need to slow down and like i said before i think ryan has some issues that he needs to sort out on his own Yeah. If he can't be whole or happy or functioning without her, then he's not whole or happy or function. Like, yes, he can't put that on her, which is not to say people can't rely on each other in a relationship. You got to be able to, but not in such an essential way. Yeah. And it's funny. I think some people maybe watching this might have thought she was too quick to walk away and might have thought, oh, this is just one bad fight. It just did not strike me that way. I thought this will become a pattern. And the pattern is being really sweet and apologetic. And then you forgive and then they do it again. And then they're sweet. You know, it's just a real roller coaster ride and it's exhausting. Yeah. So, yeah. And I even think, I mean, I, I wouldn't, if she were my friend, I wouldn't advise this <laughs> at this point in the relationship. But if they could even just be friends, you know, if she could be supportive of him in whatever work he needs to do on himself without being in a relationship. Great. I'm not saying cast him aside, not your problem. Right. Don't worry about him. Not at all. It's just, but wrapping that up in a romantic relationship as well is just opening the door to lots of unhealthy entanglements, I think. It is. Yeah. And it's a hard thing because it's not like, I mean, Everyone deserves love. Ryan deserves love, you know? But I think what can get tricky about that is then making it like, and I'm the one who owes it to him, you know? Like, so Amber could think to herself, because I think this is pretty normal. It's what I used to do. Well, it's my responsibility. And, you know, I, I need to take care of this person. I, I don't know. And and so it's, I think, very, very healthy and good to to walk away. And while I do think everyone deserves love, I also think that includes loving yourself. And I think that probably what Ryan needs to do is, yeah, work on himself. And that's in some ways harder without Amber around, but in other ways, more of a real experience. Because just as I was saying earlier about Sarah not taking time off and just like boop, going right from Mark to Hank, I don't know if it's as deep of a relationship that she's going to have with Hank because 
she hasn't had time to figure out what she truly wants and if she, you know, will she be happy with him? Am I settling? Is this okay? Is this the love of my life? You know, questions that you, I don't know. Um, and so Ryan might just be like, well, I'm with Amber and she makes me feel good. So that's all that matters, but it's not all yeah. that matters. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't connect until our conversation, Sarah and Amber in this episode. I mean, yeah, they're, they're facing I didn't either. the same challenge that someone needs them. Yeah. And one of them takes on that responsibility and one of them says, I can't be responsible for that. Yeah. And I think you make such a good point that, yes, they do both need someone, mm-hmm. but why is it these women's jobs right. to be that one person? Yeah. It really it makes me think of a song from Oliver, <laughs> which was the first show I ever did I in remember that. theater. And Nancy, and that's Oliver Twist. It's based on Oliver Twist. And the character Nancy, who's in an abusive relationship with Bill Sykes, sings a song called As Long As He Needs Me. And I never really liked the song very much because it's musically very repetitive. It's a nice tune, but it's like, okay, speed it up. But the lyrics are, it's that exact yeah. thing. You know, I think the mid, the middle section, she says, if you are lonely, then you will know when someone needs you, you love them so. Oh. I won't betray his trust, though people say I must. I've got to stay true just as long as he needs me. Ugh, that is, Not that is the anthem of... Yeah. Sarah abused women. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. No, totally abused people, but it's you know, almost always women. Yeah, no, completely. And I think that part of that is mixed up with this idea that women are meant to be like, you know, maternal and nurturing. I think it's why yeah. sometimes people are sort of put off by, you know, women who have chosen not to have children more than I think they're put off by men choosing not to have children, you know, yeah, why aren't you fulfilling your role, your destiny? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that's that's really what it is. You know, it's it's what we're here for, a lot of people think. And that sometimes weirdly translates to romantic relationships where the two people are supposed to be equal and not one person saving or coming to the rescue of the other. And it's why I don't like it when the reverse happens in movies either, where, you know, it's like the, you know, Prince Charming saving the the, the woman. Yeah. Neither of them should, they, they should be okay. <laughs> and then they should fall in love. <laughs> and be together because they want to be, you know, that's what it should yeah. be. Yeah. Good for you, Amber. Yes. I really, it meant a lot to me. And as much as I've liked the character of Ryan, yeah, I was just, that was the part that made me like tear up the most actually in this episode, which is maybe shocking because you would think <laughs> that there were other times to, you know, cry more. You would think it's the video. You would think. You know, which is, <laughs> I, I'm convinced, you know, I said at the top of this, this was the second highest rated episode of season four. I feel like that's almost purely because there is this very famous or infamous scene yeah. of Christina's video to her kids. Yeah. But let's start at the top of that storyline. A very good place to start. Sarah Ramos is back. Yay! I forgot that. Yeah. I didn't remember that she was, I mean, she's barely in the episode, but she is here. Yeah, it was really nice to see her. Always is. Yeah. I did, under, I was a little confused, like, what was the point of having her flight be delayed? Is it because Sarah Ramos herself was unavailable to be in more than like, you know, very briefly? Or do you think that they thought that the storyline needed to be what it was? Like Adam focusing in on this and then the storyline with him and Zeke and that maybe Hattie's presence would be complicating 
the, the essence, you know, like how can you watch a video that she, of her talking to the kids if one of the kids is in the room, y- you know, things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I hadn't even thought about it. I'm just kind of wondering it right now, actually. Although I did kind of wonder why have her in the episode, but barely in the episode. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I mean, no, no shade at all to Sarah Ramos. She doesn't add a lot to this episode. No. In terms of, yeah, story. It does mean a lot when she comes in the room at the end. Yeah. That's... Just her presence actually does make a huge impact, I thought. But but yeah, like we got her back. Here's, Here's her two minutes of screen time. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's because I already know where this storyline is going, because I did remember Christina's storyline in this episode. Yeah. But I was memorable. like, I'm two thumbs up for Adam's pushiness yes. at the top of this episode. Oh my gosh. She's like, I'm fine. I'll tell you when we need to go to the doctor. I'm like, good for you, Adam. Yeah. Just bulldoze right over her. Don't even listen. Yeah. Because he knows her and he knows the pressure that Christmas is putting on her to minimize all these symptoms that are not minimal. Right, right. I was grateful that he wasn't listening to her. Me too. And I was very, very impressed, um, especially in those early scenes before it got so dramatic. Although I think I'm impressed by those two, but in a different way. I was just especially impressed with how well she coughed it felt like such a real cough and it felt like one of those coughs that really was on the verge where she could convince herself it was nothing. And he was like, that is not nothing. And I just thought that seems like a hard thing to be able to do as an actor to like portray sick. So believably. Yeah. Yeah. She's a natural coffer. A natural coffer. That's a line from Funny Girl. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Although, you know what? Maybe this is a silly thing to bring up, but I actually do have, I think, a natural talent for a fake cough. And I used to employ it when I was a kid, when I would walk by smokers and I would pretend they were making me cough. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) shaming the smokers. I was like, I'm going to do my fake cough now. And I I think you'll be like, wow, that seems real. Are you okay? I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't think it's a fake cough. I think I make myself actually cough. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, don't do it, be it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay, I didn't think I'd be talking about this today. I feel like I have a pretty good fake sneeze. Oh, I can't do that at all. Let's hear it. (laughs) That's excellent. Oh, man. Thanks. Yeah. You could use that against anti-maskers. You could just freak them out. (laughs) (laughs) Or bees. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I am anti-histamine. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mm -hmm. Adam tells Crosby not to let anyone know yeah. Christina's in the hospital. He doesn't quite follow through with that. Oh, hey, Max. Where are my mom and dad? They um, went out to, to take care of some things. What could they possibly have to do? It's December 24th. Um, you know, they just had some stuff to do, I think. What What are they doing? Spit it out. That's an idiot. It okay. means you should tell me. <laughs> so Here's tell what me. happened. Um, your, your, your mom is in the hospital. Your dad took your mom to the hospital. OK, there we go, sweetie. Oh. Oh, jeez. <laughs> It's nothing serious. Are you, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. How could I be okay? Is is my dad going to be home in time to take me to the mall? To, to the mall? Yes, to the mall. So close. So close. Um, I, I don't know Every if year it... on December 24th, we go to the mall. Is he going to be back home in time to take me? Okay, you sit here. Um, You know, 
I, I don't know if, if they're going to be back no, in time to take you. No, but he has to be you. back because we have to go to the hobby store so I can pick out the, the train that runs underneath the tree at Grandma and Grandpa's house. Right. I do okay. it every year without exception. Okay, can I make you some breakfast? Yes, eggs. You want eggs? I want eggs. Okay. <laughs> eggs. Nora doesn't have any pants on. You almost cared about someone else. I know. It really did um, psych me out or whatever. I was like, oh, man, how could I be okay? How could I possibly be okay? Will my father be there to take me to the mall? And I felt really sad and kind of angry with him. And then I'm like, well, maybe, Melissa, that's really how, you know, how it would be. Like, don't be judgmental. But it was very hard to hear him express only concern about the mall and tradition and not his mother. Yeah. Do you think that it's because Crosby downplayed it so much? And if Max had any idea how serious things got at that hospital, or would it be like Amber in the hospital about to, you know, possibly die again? And he, he would just be caring about the mall. Maybe that's unfair to say he's very close to his mother. He loves her very much, obviously. I don't know if Crosby knew how serious it was. Or me, and I don't think it had actually gotten, I don't think she was in septic shock. At that point. Yeah, by that point. I Although, but right. she was in the hospital. Yeah. It's, you don't go there for just a cough. Yeah. Especially on Christmas Eve. And Max yeah. is so smart. He must have known that about his mother, that she wouldn't want to spend Christmas away from him. Yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, I am comforted by the fact that Jason Kadams wrote this very episode. Right. He has a child with Asperger's. So it must be... I would think at least what he thinks is an accurate representation. So, yeah. but yeah, I, I agree with you. It was hard to hear. Although I was very glad, you know, I set this up like Adam said, don't tell anyone. But I really appreciated that Crosby told Max pretty much right away. Yeah. And I, I feel like the spirit of what Adam meant was not supposed to apply to Max. Yeah. It was um, supposed to apply to Max Zeke, is, who then finds Max out. deserves to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was actually very believable. Yeah. Yeah, Max, of course, would blab it. Right. Max would not understand the discretion around this. Right, right. Sidebar, I loved how comfortable Zeke was holding a baby, especially yeah. a half-naked baby. I thought, <laughs> He's a father of four and a grandfather of how many? He, he better be comfortable holding a baby. And it yeah. looked very natural, and there was no like, oh, yuck, she's not wearing any... No, it's your granddaughter. Pick her up. Scoops her up. She's so cute. BT dubs, there is no St. Michael's Hospital in Berkeley. (laughs) I didn't even think to look that up, but I'm I'm so glad you did. (laughs) I wonder sometimes, you know, you and I were like back in the beginning with Nora. Like, why is Nora even a character on this show? What what was the point? But boy, she really intensifies all of these cancer scenes so much like it would already be tragic and and awful and stressful don't get me wrong but with Hattie out of the house if if Max were just saying you know this speech and the only person Crosby were watching in that moment for example were Max he'd just be like okay I'll make you eggs and he'd be having a conversation with him but because they have Nora and also Otis (laughs) you know it's just it's just chaos in there and he you know and and Max seems I, I think an effect of it is that he seems um, crueler because he's adding to all this yeah. craziness in the house. You know, if, if it was just him having a conversation, then maybe Crosby would even say to him, like, well, aren't you concerned about your mom? You're just talking about the train. And maybe he would say, but my mom's always there at Christmas, too. You know, like maybe it would actually take a turn and we would learn that he's grasping onto the traditions he knows because this is scary, his mom being in the hospital. And we don't see that. 
And hey, maybe all this is bull and that's not actually what's going through his head at all. But if there is something deeper, we just don't get to find out because Crosby can't ask him that. He has to go chase down Nora, who's not wearing pants. And he has to, you know, pick up Otis's poop. And, ah, you know, and so I think that that's sort of interesting that Nora's presence really adds that layer of intensity to all of these scenes. Yeah. Do you ever worry about what they have to do to get the baby to cry like that? Oh, gosh, no. But now that you say it, yes. I mean, I'm assuming that they're not, you know, like a pricker with a pin, (laughs) you know. And I also bet that if you don't see her face. That it's just noise. Yeah, that it's just noise. Yeah, it's just recording. But a lot of times you do see her face. And it reminded me of that point that Stephen made on his episode. Well, the kid wants their mother Mm -hmm. and Christina just holds them tight as if. She doesn't want to let go. But actually, the kid wants their real mother who's off camera. Yes. Yeah. And this episode, Christina wasn't even in the house. And Nora was frequently saying, mommy, mommy. Mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, this is what's happening. Mommy's just off camera. Yeah. And they're not giving her to her. Yeah. I hope that's humane. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if it is. Because she's like red faced and real tears. Like, what do you do if the kid is in a good mood? Like, well, crap, we can't shoot now. The baby's happy and content. (laughs) Quick, someone traumatize her. Oh, no. That's so sad. That's terrible. Well, I looked up some other details. Septic shock is a dangerous drop in blood pressure following an infection. And the mortality rate for someone who's in septic shock is about 40%. Oh, geez. So it really is very serious. Wow. And the doctor who comes in says that they need a CVP line. That stands for central venous pressure, which is a measurement of the pressure in the right atrium of the heart. I don't understand a lot of what I just said, but there's the fact. (laughs) There it is. According to the great god Google. (laughs) (laughs) So there were several things in this episode that felt clunky to me, like Hank in that Santa scene and Amber a little bit with Ryan. Zeke just showing up in Christina's hospital room also felt a little clunky to me. I I can't exactly say why, because it it definitely felt consistent with Zeke's character that he, yeah, he'll just charge right in. I I think it was that it just felt like there was already plenty of conflict in that scene and very serious conflict. Yes. And then this just felt like a, very petty conflict to put on top of it. But I think that is also exactly what they were going for. Like Adam's trying to focus on his wife potentially dying and he has to contend with what the hell is my dad doing here? That does feel like a very Braverman thing, you know, totally. Yeah. Or maybe it's that. Can you just walk into someone's hospital room? Yeah. I haven't been in a lot of hospitals. I have. And I, I believed that that could happen, but I also think, Zeke is a smart person, and it felt like he walked in right as everything was going down. And if, if it were me, I would hang back. I would be yeah, like, read oh. the room. Yeah, I'd be like, oh my God. And I actually think Zeke, well, you know what? It depends because we've seen so many different sides to Zeke. We've seen him show some, you know, like perceptiveness, and we've seen him not. <laughs> so I guess I would believe he would just walk in because curiosity would get the best of him. But I really. I think he would have hung back until Christina was wheeled out and then he would have pounced on Adam. Like what the hell just happened? I feel like that's maybe a little bit more in keeping with what he would have done, but yeah. Yeah. Minor quibble. That didn't bother me too much, but I much preferred their next scene. Like much. That was my favorite. Probably part of that whole storyline was that scene. Oh, here. Yeah. I uh, brought you the computer. 
And I brought you some, some clothes, you know, stuff you might need. And then I made you a sandwich. It's like ham and cheese. Your favorite? Thanks. Yeah, well, you need to take care of yourself, son. Okay. Well, just, um, please, tell her I love her. I will, Dad. Please, I will. Okay. Uh, listen, son, I am uh, so sorry. No, when I come no, in I'm here, sorry. I'm frantic. I'm sorry. It's all right, then. Okay. All right. Anyway. Hey, Dad. Yeah. Could you, uh, could you stay a while longer? Sure. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I, I really loved that. I thought that me was... Me too. Yeah. I didn't remember that scene, and it did really move me. You know, Adam needs someone to take care of him while he is so focused on taking care of Christina, and I was just so touched that his dad was there for him. And also Zeke's concern for Christina Ugh. felt so real. Yeah. And their apologies were so heartfelt. It's my favorite kind of apology where it's like... As they're saying it, the other per it's like, it doesn't even matter. You know, like, like I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, who cares in the face of all of this? And they both know yeah. that, but it's still so sweet to say. I, I, yeah, that was beautiful. I really loved that. Yeah. And it's Zeke being there for him in a way that is helpful to Adam. Yeah. Not helpful to Zeke. Yes, yes. He's, you know, the fact that he just brought something and was going to drop it off and leave and only stayed when Adam asked him to. That's so respectful. It's really beautiful. That's truly doing something for another person instead of, yeah, just out of some bombastic sense of importance, which is how I feel like Zeke does a yeah. lot of things, right? So, yeah. This is such a tangent, but I'm a West Wing fan. So it struck my ear weird to hear Adam talk to a Dr. Bartlett. Oh. My mind went straight to Stocker Channing. She oh. played Dr. Bartlett on the West Wing, the first lady. Not this male model <laughs> pretending <laughs> to be a doctor. I was he, just like, gosh, this guy is so good looking. And sure, he's your doctor. Although I looked up that actor, Rich Seraulo Co., and he was pre-med at NYU before he switched to drama. Look at that. How about so that? not a doctor, but could have been. Could have been. I thought he looked a little like Dr. Dam. Was that was that him from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> I loved Dr. Dam. I did too. I thought that was such a great name too. Really funny. Yeah. But yeah, um, I really thought the scene where that guy said that your wife is likely to turn around. I understood completely why Adam like spiraled at that. I would be like, wait, likely to turn around. What the hell? <laughs> like that. Yeah. And I think that was the line that really made me understand how serious um, this was. Well, parallel to Christina being in the hospital, we have Max and Nora mm. being taken care of by Jasmine and Crosby. Yes. I couldn't help but just sort of like shake my head at Jasmine and Crosby letting Max bulldoze their plans. Yeah. Even after they told him no. And as we say often, I'm no expert on how to deal with behaviors of autistic children, but... I was just like, this is not teaching Max a good lesson. It's teaching him that he can get his way if he just insists hard enough. Yeah. Tell him, Max, we said we're going to Webb's Ranch to cut down our Christmas tree, and that's what we're going to do. I understand that you want to go to Brookstone. Tough. 
But his mom's in the hospital. I'm sure that's why they don't do that. You know, they're just like, oh, let's. But he doesn't seem all that broken up about his mom being in the hospital either. So, but maybe yeah. he Are is. you consoling uh, him? <laughs> yeah. He's fine. Yeah. He just wants to go to Brookstone. Yeah, that's, that is tricky. Although I was so distracted by the fact that they were cutting down their Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. I was like, is that what people do? Do people do that? Oh, good point. They, they were like explaining to Jabbar on Christmas Eve, we're going to get a tree. I'm like, why didn't you get a tree a week ago at least? <laughs> or That's a weeks. gigantic hole in this story. That's what I think. <laughs> we would frequently, when I was a kid, cut down our own Christmas. Well, we wouldn't cut it. But we went and pl- went to a place that had live trees, and it would be cut down for us. Oh, that, that sounds our wonderful. Our tradition was that we would do that the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's what made me think of it, because Jay still does that with her family, like the weekend, yeah. Or the, the yeah Thanksgiving break. And so, and you know, that's the only frame of reference I even had because I never had a real tree. Um, my mom was like allergic. So we always put up our fake tree, which I still really loved. And sometimes we'd be a little late putting it up. But it wouldn't be Christmas Eve. I, I I don't know. You'd want it up for the whole season, I would feel. So, yeah. yeah. I just thought that poor tree is like being cut down just for and a couple of days. Yeah, just like a yeah. few days later, at least let it. Yeah. You know, what's Phoebe say on Friends about the Christmas destination or Christmas, wait, Christmas destiny? <laughs> like all those yeah. crappy looking trees. It just makes me sad. Like that, that tree that they're going to get is barely going to fulfill its Christmas destiny. It's just too bad. Yeah. Yeah. There is a web ranch in the Bay Area, although it's not clear to me from their website if you can cut your own tree. They advertise themselves primarily as a pumpkin patch, but then they had a little seasonal tab on their website, and there was something about Christmas trees there. But in one place, it said fresh cut, which to me, I would think, so you cut it down right then. Yeah. But then right above that, it says trees grown in Oregon and Washington. Huh. Well, that's not fresh. Cut. How fresh is that cut then? <laughs> that's an old And you're cut. in California. So Web Ranch, please clear that up. <laughs> I can't enjoy this episode until I know. Can they actually go to that ranch and get What's happening? Yeah. Something I wouldn't have noticed outside of the COVID era is that when Adam is in the room with Christina wearing mm. a mask, yeah. as soon as she wakes up, he takes the mask off. I noticed that too. That's not right, right? I mean, if you right. had to wear a mask to be in that room, then he needs to wear it. Yeah. I am sure it is just so that it's more effective or affecting or whatever to see his acting. But yeah, I don't think I would have noticed that before COVID either. Um, yeah. Have you seen any articles or things about how fictional characters would handle the pandemic? Yes. <laughs> It just made me think like, oh, Adam would be one of those guys who would like have it on his chin, wouldn't he? And only if you gave him a dirty look would he pull it up. But he would never be completely without it. That would be (laughs) too far. I could see that. He's not that big of an asshole, but he doesn't want to wear it. He doesn't want to wear it. Yeah. I feel like Hank would refuse to wear it. That's that's what I think. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And Christina would be like, Double masking. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone she knew. Uh, totally. Even in the summer months outside alone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Jasmine and Crosby also have what I thought was kind of a clunky scene. Not the scene itself. I thought just getting into it was a little clunky, although that, that improved greatly on my second watch. But the first time around, I thought, oh, you hear bad news about Christina and then just Instantly, Jasmine has to exit the house and be alone. And Crosby follows her. 
And I thought, wouldn't this be more effective if the family's all together and Crosby couldn't find her and was walking around the house and found her just sitting off on her own and she said, oh, I'm just feeling a little worried about everything. It would be. No, you're totally right. But I thought where the scene led actually felt very natural and a nice way to bring about this new information. I can't believe this is happening. She's strong, though. You know, she's an Ohio Buckeye. (laughs) She'll make it. I don't know. These last couple of days with Christina and having Nora just made me think how life is short. Yeah, uh, painfully short. I want to have another baby. Maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm just emotional and attached to this one. I want to have another baby too. Really? Yeah, really. Like pretty bad. Really? Yeah. Many times, many ways, Merry Christmas. You're a troublemaker. Look what you started. I really liked that scene a lot and I believed both of them which I guess is the point of any scene but (laughs) (laughs) which is a weird thing to say but you know how sometimes it feels like this is a storyline but this time I thought no it makes sense they've been married for a little while now not that long but you know I thought it made sense at this point that they would start thinking about another child and I especially thought it made sense that Crosby would say it with that sort of glee almost because he missed everything the first time, you know, and, and yeah. it's nice that they don't bring that up every time they talk about like having a kid or something, because that's that's a painful subject for them both, I would imagine. But I just really love the idea that he's probably I mean, he loves Jabbar so much. The idea of having another one with her who he'll get to like experience right it from all the get go, right from yeah. the get go. I thought, of course, he would want that. Yeah. 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 I liked it, too. Although, did she say the past few days with Christina. Has it been even one day yet? That's (laughs) a good point. I thought this kind of took place overnight. Because Christina was like, it's Christmas Eve and it's still Christmas Eve. But, you know, if you think about how that time, although this would make more sense if it were weeks or months, I'm thinking about the episode where they go to Jasmine and Crosby's for weed while they're throwing that party. And she's like, I'll take Nora, you know, like we kind of started to see a little bond between those two in that episode, I feel like, but that wouldn't be days. And I suppose it could be, you know, at the beginning of this episode, when Christina was coughing, Adam called Crosby so quickly Mm -hmm. that it, it did seem like that was the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Like that they had planned when there's an emergency, we call Crosby. He won't be shocked that he's getting the phone call. He won't be shocked that it's the middle of the night. Yeah. And there was no, can I ask a favor of you? It was, I'm taking Christina to the ER. You need to come watch the kids. Yeah. But it, it didn't feel bossy either. No, it, it felt like a plan. Like, All like right. You said. Now we are implementing the plan. And I wonder if maybe they've done that other times that we just didn't see. So maybe Jasmine is sort of a like a semi-official yeah. surrogate mom or babysitter. Like she's the, she's the backup. That makes sense. So yeah, sense. that could be it. Well, and also now I'm trying to remember at the very top of the episode, Adam says something about the cough. Like, that cough you've been having, you know, or, or he might even say an amount of time she's had it. And I just, I'm not thinking, 
of it, but he was saying that he was concerned, Yeah, you know, so it didn't start on Christmas Eve. You know, I don't think you'd take someone to the hospital the same day their cough started, probably. Yeah. Crosby also said that Christina is a Buckeye. Yeah. Which is news to us. Yeah. I don't believe they've told us where she's from, but it's Ohio, apparently. And... Monica Potter is from Ohio. Oh, that's so fun. I just assumed they must have taken that from her. That's nice. I thought that was such a charming thing to say, too. She's an Ohio Buckeye. Like, it's a real specific about Christina. It shows affection and, like, knowing her. I, I really enjoyed all that. I thought that was really sweet. And if her mom is still there, <laughs> it is still kind of amazing that her mom wouldn't come visit even while she has cancer. But it is nice to know okay, that's truly across the country. Like, yeah, yeah. Her mom would need to get on a plane and fly there. It's not going to yeah. be like, mom, can't you drive over from Utah and come visit me? Right. No, it's Ohio. Yeah. Unless Roy and her <laughs> relocated. <laughs> I was thinking so randomly the other day, wow, we don't know Christina's father's name or her mother's name, but we know Roy. <laughs> that is so weird. <laughs> totally weird. This brings me to another question in that same interview with Monica Potter that doesn't really apply to this episode, but I thought you would find it interesting. And since you don't have a guest, it seems like a good time to just totally nerd out. Yeah. So over the years, as you guys have sort of organically grown with these characters, what have you enjoyed about the evolution of Christina? Um, I feel like the first two seasons, Christina, like, bugged me. Like, Sometimes I wanted to just like slap her because she was so uptight. Um, but I understood and I gave her a backstory because there really wasn't one um, about her family. You never, we've never seen her, her brothers or sisters and like who the hell are they? So I think that she didn't really have the best upbringing and she has a tough exterior. Um, and, you know, they would give me bits and pieces and I would sort of, elaborate and ask if I could elaborate a little bit maybe about her father and you know saying things like <clears throat> regards to Adam to Hattie you know your dad is nothing like my dad was well what does that mean you know so just little tidbits of information to give you a backstory about her um, and it helped me understand who she was more um, and and actually feel for her and so now I think the first two seasons um, she just was such a type A personality, and I know women like this, that want every single thing to be perfect because it wasn't like that for them, so therefore they're going to make it like this. And, you know, then she got, she was just thrown a, a bunch of stuff, and I think the best part of it is, like, in the last season, you start to see a little bit of this stuff chip away a little, and um, I don't know what they're writing for next season, but... Uh, I, I feel like there'll be it'll be more celebratory and, and she won't be as so rigid. Wow. Yeah. And I should mention when she refers to last season there, she's referring to season four. Okay. This interview took place between seasons four and five. So good. So next season might be more celebratory, she says. Yeah. <laughs> not that we would know. We've never seen it before. That's not ever. True. Ever. I love that. And I like that what she said about not really liking Christina the first two seasons. I didn't really notice it until season two. That was Christina's low point in my mind with all the Alex yeah. stuff. But I've really loved her in three and four. Yeah. Yeah. I liked hearing about her backstory. And yeah. That she did kind of fill it in. Well, herself. you've been picking up on that the whole watch. Like, I've really enjoyed that. You've really, like, zeroed in anytime she's... Looking out for it. Yeah, yeah. She's from Ohio. 
think her dad's dead, her mom's remarried or in a new relationship. With Roy. <laughs> Everything sucks. Yeah. <laughs> About her upbringing. Yeah. She did things that she felt pressured to do that she now her regrets. Her maiden name's Nichols. Yeah. There we go. We're putting together a story. We've yeah. got it. Well, now we come to the scene. Yes. This is on MTV's list of top 21 cries from parenthood. Ah. They put Christina's video at number two. It's on Huffington Post's non-ranked list of top 10 cry-worthy moments in parenthood history. Yahoo said it ranked 9.99 out of 10 on the cry meter on their list of 27 (laughs) parenthood moments that made us cry like a baby. It's on BuzzFeed's 39 times parenthood made you sob uncontrollably and on TV Line's list of 10 episodes to rewatch if you need a good cry. I could truly go on and on. That's (laughs) You Google this episode or this scene and it's just everywhere. It is a highlight of many fans. And I found a little interview that Monica Potter did with Huffington Post. And they asked her, at what point in shooting the episode did you film the video that Christina left for Hattie, Max, and Nora? And Monica Potter said, that's funny that you're asking me that because when I saw the schedule, I was like, you guys, are you kidding? It was early on in the episode. It was Max Burkholder's birthday, November 1st. And I remember because I remember taking my kids out for Halloween and I had to be up early because I knew the workload was kind of heavy. You have these mini panics like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I studied it for a little bit, but then I just put it away because I didn't want it to feel rehearsed. Mm. And I'm so glad I did it like that because I feel like the true emotion came through. It was a weird morning. Everything was very quiet and still and there were only a few people on set. I couldn't get through it the first couple of times and then finally I was like, let's go. And then they also asked her, was Peter Krause really watching it for the first time on screen or had he seen it previously? And she said, no, he hadn't. That was the first time he was watching it from what I know. So just sitting next to me and having this computer in there, it was weird. I could hear him watching it. I turned my head and at one point I was crying while I was unconscious. I was like, crap, can't do that. It was hard. Then I turned my head so it wouldn't be as noticeable. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. I guess I hadn't even thought about the fact that maybe he would watch that for the first time. I think that was wise, you know, like so that it would have maximum impact. Because I am pretty sure that I sobbed the very first time I watched this episode. And this is maybe going to sound very strange, but I didn't this time. And maybe it's just because I was like, I I knew it was coming and I, I knew it would be sad and I could guess the sorts of things that might be in it. And I'm finding, I think I cry more when I watch something for the first time, you know, and so I'm, I'm not crying as much on the rewatch for the podcast. And maybe also because I'm watching it kind of clinically in a way. Yeah. But I, I also think the things that are making me cry are like kind of moments I hadn't really remembered. And a lot of them tend to be really small moments that are making me tear up and, and cry. And the really big made-to-make-you-cry moments aren't as much. And I think, again, it's just, I'm sure that they did the first time. And now it's just like, I don't know. I thought it was very well done. Don't get me wrong. I thought she acted the hell out of it. And I thought it was sad. But I knew it was coming. I remembered it really well. So it didn't have that surprise factor, which is why I think it was a good idea for Peter Krause to watch it for the first time that way. Yeah. What about you? I'm very much the same way. Yeah. I feel like I have a bit of an unpopular opinion uh-huh. about the video. Yeah. Which is just that I find it a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> and But I agree with you. She performs it beautifully. 
it's not a knock against her. And I think it's written quite well. It just has an element of, it feels very on the nose. Yeah. Like its sole purpose is to make the viewer cry. Yeah. Which I feel like is not entirely fair because I actually think it is completely believable and understandable that a mother of three, especially one like Christina, who we've known for four seasons, in the midst of a cancer battle would make a video like that yeah. for her kids. Yeah. It's not that I don't believe it. Right. So maybe I'm overly harsh. But I will say I found it way less over the top than I remember. My memory of it was that it was incredibly long and that she was just sobbing mm-hmm. through the entire thing, barely able to get her words out, and that Adam was sobbing watching it. And compared to my memory, it was actually fairly mm-hmm. understated. She didn't yeah. really cry until the end. And then even when she did, she cried pretty quietly. Mm-hmm. And she cries all the time, so it makes sense. Right. Yeah, yeah. And same with Adam. He wasn't sobbing. He just, you know, had some tears. And it was mostly sweet and lighthearted and mm-hmm. things that she loved about her kids. Yeah. So I don't dislike the video, but I was with you. I noted on that scene between Adam and Zeke. Yeah. This is the kind of scene that really gets me. And I think you were right to point out it's probably different on the rewatch. Yeah. I didn't remember that other scene. Right. And I think it's sort of like laughter. Mm -hmm. There is an element of surprise. It has to catch you off guard. Yes. Like, well, here comes the video that the woman battling cancer made in case she dies for her kids. Right. Right. Okay, get ready. Yeah. This is going to make me cry. I remember that. I didn't remember this very small moment. Yes. I'm remembering now that for the podcast, the first time I cried was pretty early on. I think it was the third episode that that is the swimming scene. I don't even know what got me. It was <laughs> something just very beautiful about all of them together, like spontaneously spending an afternoon and Max got into footpath and everyone was so happy for him. And it was a pretty small thing, but I thought, God, what a beautiful family, you know? And it was me kind of reminding myself because we were just at the start of this rewatch and this podcast and it caught me off guard. And so, yeah, that, that video is never going to catch me off guard. And I also think when you said it was a bit much, I have to admit it is because it's, he's watching her video while sitting next to her, like lifeless body in the hospital on Christmas. It's just yeah. so much, you know, and and I I you know, I'm someone who grew up in hospitals. My dad was just constantly in the hospital. As I said earlier, he was in the hospital at least one Christmas. And it's probably not fair to compare because Christina wasn't always sick and my dad was always sick. It was a real reality of our life. And so even though it was sad to go to the hospital and sometimes something genuinely scary would happen, there was also a lot of like mundane stuff, like flipping channels, just watching stuff together, just like being annoyed about something or like dad pushing away the gross food or, you know, just, (laughs) I have way more memories of that in the hospital, but you know, in movies and TV, it's always these like supercharged moments in, in the hospital. And so I think maybe that, is something too. The the scene with Zeke, the one we loved, that feels very real where someone's upset and they're not sure how to comfort somebody else. And, you know, that happens constantly. The awkwardness happens a lot, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. Like I said before, it was so nice to have Hattie return for that very final shot. I did love that. It meant a lot to have her there. But then I remembered 
The last we saw of Hattie was her parents telling her that Christina was 100% cancer-free. What was the fallout of her discovering that she was blatantly lied to? And we can thematically tie that to Santa in this episode. (laughs) But (laughs) I guess we'll never know. It's just like, well, Hattie's back and her mom's in the hospital and she doesn't question why. Oh, it's because she has cancer. That should be news to Hattie. Yeah. Oh, my God, Caleb. It didn't even occur to me. And you're so right. Uh, Wow. And also, how does she even know... To find her mom there, did did Adam think to leave a note in case you know Hattie showed up? Or did they are, are they texting each other? We're not saying that. Were people texting? Yeah, people were texting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm outside. <laughs> I'm outside. That's, That's right. That is. Yeah. I mean, all I can my assumption is somewhere between 406 and this episode, they have come clean with Hattie and said, actually, mom still has cancer. We just didn't get to see it. Yeah. That's a pretty big I would have really liked to have seen that scene. Yeah. Unless this is her first time finding out and she's like, I'm going to save my pissed off anger until later. Or maybe she's like, <laughs> you get a pass because I'm so relieved she's okay. You know? Like, or she came in and just destroyed the Christmas mood. <laughs> Gives her mom a hug and then goes, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> well, you told me you did not cancer. Everybody out. <laughs> Things are about to get awkward. <laughs> Yeah, um, that would have definitely um, been a different way to go. And (laughs) it might have been nice coming off of that video. She would have been like, I'm going to make an appendix to that video, a little epilogue. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, we had this pleasant montage with Melissa Etheridge over it. She's a native Kansan. I knew she was a native Kansan, but I did not know that was Melissa Etheridge. (laughs) I did look it up because I was like, who is this? Did you like that She sounded kind of familiar. I don't know. I wasn't listening that closely. Yeah. It set the mood yeah. nicely. Yeah, it was fine. I liked her voice. I did like her voice. I I've, I remember feeling like the melody felt a little schlocky, and it surprised me because usually it's just lights out for their music choices. Yeah, but I do really like Melissa Etheridge, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, a lot of this episode actually felt kind of clunky to me. I think it has such a high rating because of the video. I think yeah. people remember that. What was that in? Oh, that episode was great. Yeah. Which I understand. And it's a Christmas episode, which it does warm the heart. Yeah. Kind of automatically. I don't think it's as good as the Thanksgiving episode. Mm-hmm. But I did really like it. I thought even some of those weird little like character inconsistencies aside, it did the job. And In contrast to the Thanksgiving episode, I felt like this one advanced many more plots whereas the thanksgiving one did feel like we're gonna kind of pause everything and just hang out with the bravermans Mm -hmm. for an episode and this felt like integral to the storytelling there was no pausing yeah for christmas you know it's weird though i kind of liked the pause and yeah and you know honestly i think i probably would have liked christina in the hospital more like I said, if it was if it wasn't Christmas, it just felt like you said so all on the nose. That part of me is like, well, what would the Christmas have looked like if she just wasn't up to doing all the things she usually did? If she was just tired, you know? What if it was that same oh, yeah. episode, one more weekend with you, and they watch, you know, Micah? What if that was Christmas and she was just too tired to do stuff, but she wasn't hospital sick, you know, and it just changed the dynamic of how things were? I'm not saying that that's what should have happened. I'm just curious how that might have looked, you know, if it just hadn't been mined for all the possible drama that it could have been, yeah. but just was fundamentally a change, 
That would have been. Or she wanted Christmas to be over the top because she was sick, but she didn't have the energy to. So then she was making Adam do it all. Yeah. And he resented, you know, you're the one that wants Christmas to be a big deal. I just want to keep it small. Now I have to go execute all your plans. Yeah. You know, it makes sense that they went the way that they went, but it just feels like a show that doesn't usually do that. You know, it it usually has, I think, quite a bit of restraint and um, subtlety and nuance. And I love that. And, you know, it makes me wonder if a lot of other people don't love that. You know, if some people like big time drama, this is a weird comparison, but I was just recently in preparation for Scream. (laughs) I was watching, I was reading this article that was like, ranking all the kills, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and this ranker liked the ones that were insane, like, liked that one in season three where the guy lights the match and gets blown up. And you and I have oh talked my. before about, well, that's not Ghostface. That's just not who Ghostface is or how Ghostface operates. And this person just kept saying, that was just another death in, you know, in the torso. And I'm like, that's what Ghostface does. <laughs> <laughs> so really, his weapon is a knife not gas leaks right right and they liked the one where like anthony anderson in the fourth one was like stabbed in the forehead and i was like he doesn't stab people comically in the forehead it's scary and it goes in the stomach he disembowels people a lot this is a weird thing you could take it out <laughs> so <laughs> but but do you know what i mean like a lot of people if they made a list like that they would put all the biggest most dramatic whatever, whether it's kills or whether it's the biggest cries. And I'm like, you know, I like that quiet moment that I forgot about that made me yeah. cry. You know, I like, yeah, I like the classic kills. <laughs> I like the surprising. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but this episode did feel like it was from a show that had become aware of its reputation. Yeah. And then was like trying to live up to it. Yes, it did. Oh, we make you cry every episode. Then buckle up. Yeah. (laughs) No, don't. Don't do it. Just keep being who you are. Yeah. And it also makes me realize that that humor that we were so surprised by in the first couple of seasons, we're like, gosh, this show is funnier. And I think you even would say, I think it might get less so. Like, I think that it becomes more what we're remembering, you know, the show that makes you cry. And it's very good at both things. But I really liked the mixture, you know, I, I like how funny all those actors are and how often they make us laugh. And I'm, I, I genuinely don't remember. I'm excited to watch the next one. I'm really kind of hoping that that might've been like peak sadness for a little while and like, okay, it's not Christmas anymore. Can we just kind of, even though she still has cancer, I know that's very serious, but I really liked the first few episodes of the season where it was cancer, but it was also life. You know, it was just, yeah. I don't want to drink this smoothie and yeah. I don't want to yeah. not drive. And your mother in laws yeah. driving me crazy. And yeah, like things like that. Like, yeah. And we've heard from a couple people at least who were watching the show and then had to tap out at some point. Like, yes. No, I can't take it. And I watched this episode and I think it was around here, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? On her deathbed on Christmas and she makes a video for the orphaned kids in the future. I'm out. (laughs) And I don't blame them. I don't either. I don't either. It's why, you know, I've said it before. I broke up with Grey's Anatomy. At a certain point, you're like... This is my entertainment. <laughs> I don't have to watch this. <laughs> and, and life can be hard enough. And yeah, definitely get that. Well, lest it sound like we're just ragging on the episode, I still give it thumbs up. Me too. 
And even that scene was very, very well done. And I will say, very. my Mark, my husband, was walking through, and he seemed to always be walking through at the Christina stuff. I think it was coincidental, but it just, it's how it worked. And he kept getting sucked in. And he, I mean, he was, he was getting teary at some of those scenes. And I am almost positive it was his first time seeing those. So I'm, I'm really guessing that it has quite a wallop. If, if you don't come into the episode knowing this is the Christmas video episode. Yeah. 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 If you're like, oh gosh, that's super sad and effective and beautiful. So, and I'm sure that's how I felt the first time I watched it. Yeah. 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 I'll also say I found some other interview with Monica Potter where she alluded to thinking about her own kids while doing that video. And she has three kids. Wow. And then to hear her say the line, my three beautiful kids. Yeah. And that's when she actually is crying. I thought maybe it wouldn't be as hard to act this scene if you're like her, an actual parent in real life. No, totally. Boy, just think of that even a little bit. And I feel like what mom wouldn't start crying. Yeah. Not to diminish how great she did it. I just thought that, boy, that is a potent dramatic circumstance. For sure. To drop yourself into. And something where I think having kids might really affect your ability to do it. Or maybe even perceive it, like watch it. You know, I will also say the part that really did get me was when she was addressing Nora. She like does this sigh and says, you know, like, oh, Nora, it is so very hard to leave you. And and I just thought, wow. And when she says, I'm kind of mad. Yeah, I loved that. That, See, I like the understatement. That felt really human. Yes. That didn't feel like here is my video. That's just, that's what you would say. I'm kind of mad about it. I'm, I am mad about it. You know, like. Oh my God, your your baby isn't even two. You don't really know who she is yet, and I would imagine that would be one of the most exciting things about being a parent is just figuring out who's who's this little baby who yeah. I'm sure has distinctive personality traits, but like, who will they be though? You know, like as as they yeah. grow into themselves, who will they be? And to be deprived of that is awful. At least when she's addressing Hattie and Max, she knows exactly what to say. Because she knows them so well. But with Nora, it's like... And she knows they'll have memories of her. Yes. Nora won't. Nora will only have this Oh, this this is the video of that person I'm told was my mom. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If it came to that and she had to meet her mom through the video, can you imagine just watching it? over and over and over again and trying to like look for clues and and you know going through the photos and I mean it's a dumb comparison but now I'm thinking of like full house you know where those kids lost their mom and sometimes DJ and Stephanie would have to like tell Michelle well you don't remember her but you know it's just oh yeah 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 so sad Merry Christmas Caleb, do you remember one time for Christmas, you and Jay and Megan and I went to see Sweeney Todd? (laughs) Sweeney Todd. And then it was like over and Jay just like leaned over and she was like, Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Such a depressing movie. Yeah, We always watched horror movies on Christmas for a few years there. That was a tradition that I really loved. Wolf Creek. Oh. That's like and, the worst um, one. Mark has, my, my Mark has gone on record before. I'm like, do you regret anything? And he's like, I regret watching Wolf Creek. That's his regret <laughs> in life. Statistic. Yeah. 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 But for a long time, Caleb would fly to Kansas, 
We would spend the day of Christmas with our families, but then at night we would get together. Sometimes we would go to a Chinese restaurant and then we would either rent or watch a horror movie. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I just wanted to, you know. It morphed a little at the end too because like I know one year we saw Django Unchained. Oh, yeah. It's not what you would think of as a Christmas movie. It's It's not a horror movie either. No. I mean, one year was Black Christmas, right? And we rent that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Good times. And we play games. Yes. I love that. So, anyway, yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. I know this was like a hard one, and you're all hearing this after Christmas, but I hope that your holidays were great. I hope they were wonderful. I hope 2022, because this is the first one we're recording in 2022. I hope it's going well. And also, if your kids are in the room listening to this, Santa's not real. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Have a nice life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, gosh. Well, and if they're... I think we've reached our limit. I think we're good. I think we're good. Um, Everyone, please... Check us out on the social meds, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are on there as Parenthood Pals. And you can find all of our info at parenthoodpals.com. Thanks for joining us for the holiday. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true. (laughs) 